Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 62 of Gaming Fix. Uh, I am your host today, Allison, and I am joined by Alex. Hello. And I am joined by Pat. Hello. Good, good morning. Hello. Good morning. Uh, we are recording this uh, earlier in the morning for Alex and Pat, but I am the not a morning person that is probably the most tired of all of us. So this might be an interesting. And you're uh, also two hours ahead of us, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes I'm, I, it's, it's, it's 9 a.m. I should not be like exhausted, but I'm like, why is this? morning for some reason when i suggest the time I, I keep forgetting that you're on central time and not on eastern time so i apologize because i was thinking like oh it's like 10 a.m for allison that's not a big deal <laughs> yeah, it's, I, mean, I mean it's 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 i feel like i have to have some perspective considering it's about 7 a.m for you guys yeah i mean this is when i get up now i got up maybe 20 minutes earlier than i usually do this morning my, and my parents wake up like upsettingly early and I'm like, why didn't I inherit that? From I gotta be honest with you. I'm considering taking this further <laughs> and getting up at like 5 a.m. My, my <laughs> dad wakes up at like 4.30 and I'm like, what the, what the hell are you doing? If I, if I got up at 5 a.m., I would have time to like actually do something before I go to work instead of just like shower and have a cup of coffee. Yeah. I mean, that's what I did back in college. I would go to bed at like 10, wake up at like 4. In college, I'll go to bed at three and wake up at like nine. See, in college, I ha- I would I would go to bed at four and wake up at ten. So like we were opposites. <laughs> uh, well, in college, I was uh, I, I also just occasionally would be like, let's just stay up all night just for fun, like <laughs> like for no other reason. Oh yeah, me too, totally. Like, I yeah, just I distinctly happens. remember wake staying up all night in college once just watching episodes of stargate atlantis like mm-hmm. no real reason oh, yeah. I'm like i'm yep. just gonna watch a bunch of episodes of yep. of this old sci-fi show that i like yep i we used to, we once <laughs> my friends and i decided to stay up as long as we could oh my god this <laughs> guy really bad idea that's not healthy and you should not do that no but we stayed up for like 74 hours straight i think oh my god it was what it was not a it was it was it was a, a poor decision um we were mostly fueled by like five hour energy uh oh, and monster uh oh, it was it was goodness. bad <laughs> oh that's uh, terrible <laughs> it was it was not a good time i don't remember why we did it um but we did it and it was stupid so just if like, you're in college just listen yeah just like this podcast we did it and it's stupid <laughs> <laughs> Is that our new slogan? We did it and it's stupid. Yep. Uh, nothing we've done on this podcast is as stupid as staying up for 72 hours on five hour energy in, and monster. God, I'm inclined to believe you. That sounds awful. It it's doesn't bad. sound fun. Like, it okay. sounds just like horrible. We were going to watch like all of the Lord of the Rings extended versions and every Star Wars movie. Oh my God. That was like the original impetus because like the Star Wars Blu ray came out. Um, and I bought it. So it was like, we had like almost 18 hours of star Wars to watch. And then, you know, whatever the, it's like 12 hours, 13 hours of Lord of the Rings to watch. So 
that was what started it but that's still not 72 hours <laughs> yeah i i i once did uh the all the lord of the rings extended editions uh back to back um so one of my friends from high school used to do uh, like a like we used to have a thing where we'd watch like a movie marathon on uh new year's eve um and so we watched we, one one year we decided to do lord of the rings extended editions because we all liked lord of the rings uh, don't um, oh no, it's fine i mean it's fine there's a point where you get in the middle of the two towers and you're just like what the fuck am i doing i would say if you're if you hit that point then you're not a true lord of the rings <laughs> oh, oh that's so <laughs> oh that's probably oh. true that's probably i'm kidding uh, i'm joking i have i have hey. done that also we also had a land party at the same time and uh, I can say I'm not a true Lord of the Rings fan because I don't like those <laughs> okay, movies very much. If you were doing something else while you were watching them, then you're also not a true Lord of the Rings fan if the point was to watch them. Like, you could put them on in the background, but you didn't really watch the extended editions back to back to back if you're also playing League or whatever. Oh, we were playing Counter-Strike 1.6. This was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... It- you guys, I, I'm assuming you're not a true fan, Pat, because were you in a version of Fellowship of the Ring that's 30 minutes long and it was made by uh, middle school students in a basement over the course of a couple of sleepovers? Because I was. I that's say, amazing. Does that tape exist? Uh, somewhere. I, you need to find that. We watched it like uh, a couple years ago. Like we all had like a giant. Oh, my God. But there was, there, it was like, no, it was like six of us. We were all girls and we made like this, like over the course of like three sleepovers made a 30 minute version of fellowship. That's incredible. We were all several characters. Cause I was Sam. I was also Boromir. I was also the Balrog. Um, and <laughs> that's and, amazing. And I was also like some weird, like, like bar patron orc four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it uh, you no. know, there's, and, and there's like a point where Gandalf is like riding a horse, but the horse was an exercise bike. Like this is the level. <laughs> That's pretty good. I did. I haven't done that, but I did. Um, my dad and I went to dragon con when I was a kid, um, when I was like middle school, early middle school aged. Um, and we went to an Elvish panel to learn to speak Elvish. And then I joined a, an Elvish like IRC channel that had like a bunch of custom bots for like teaching you Elvish. And in the panel, it was like packed room, tiny room, like the size of my apartment maybe, which is tiny. Um, like this little tiny room with like 60 people crammed into it because John Reese Davies was supposed to be at dragon con and he was going to come to the panel and like talk about Elvish, I guess. I don't know. And then his like <laughs> flight got delayed and then he canceled his appearance or something. And we just sat there for like three hours waiting to see if he was going to show up and then he didn't show up. And then everyone was very sad. Oh my God. <laughs> so pretty good. So I did do that. <laughs> I think that's on that's on par. <laughs> what being very sad. Speaking <laughs> of Sean Aston, do you know what game has Sean Aston in it? What? I don't mean to like to, to like snipe your your hosting. Uh, no, go for it. Allison, go for it. But Sean Aston is in Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> Did you know that? No, we should know. Okay, so let's jump to this because uh, so. 
Uh, Pat has just completed uh, Kingdom Hearts 1, and I'm actually really excited to talk about it. So, so who's Sean Astin? He's Hercules. What? Yes. And maybe I just don't, I should look up the voice cast of Hercules. Maybe he played Hercules in the Hercules movie. Definitely did not, because I would, I would know that. I feel like I would know that. I would, you would think. Okay. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm no, he's not. No, 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 no. It's no, he's not. He's it's. Yeah, it's not him. Uh, yeah, he it's Tate Donovan in the film. I've never even heard of that person outside of looking at him as the voice of Hercules in the Disney film Hercules. So Sean Astin, way bigger celebrity by now, was the voice of Hercules in Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> Right. Like I was watching the credits roll for Kingdom Hearts because I was like, oh, the voice cast credits will be fun because um obviously like it has a lot of celebrities in it. And like sure enough, Sean Aston's name scrolled by. It's <laughs> like what the hell? Me? It's, it is so weird, especially the first time I was playing it and David Boreanaz shows up and I'm like, what? Yep. I will, we'll back up and talk about kingdom hearts specifically, but it's also funny because Haley Joel Osment voices Sora, I believe even through the kingdom hearts three, I don't know yep. for sure, but yeah. Yep. So, uh, he, he, and it's funny because I guess I don't know how old he was when the first one was made. Like he's what in his thirties. Yeah. He's 30. 30s, yeah. Um, so he was pretty young when the first game came out. Um, so it's clear that he, uh, recorded his lines pre puberty and then hit puberty and rechain of memories was recorded either like late puberty or post puberty because the vocal, the change in his voice from kingdom hearts to rechain of memories is like, I looked, I had to look it up to make sure it was still him because it sounds so different. Like you could tell it's, it sounded like it was someone trying to do the Sora voice that wasn't him, but that was close, but it's him. And it just, his voice changed a ton between in the like two years between those games, which is very funny to me. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I finished kingdom hearts one final mix from the kingdom hearts 1.5 plus 2.5 HD collection. Point eight. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and uh i think i I'm, I'm i'm a kingdom hearts stand now i'm i'm fully on board with with sora and the gang uh, you know that's not the direction i thought that was going to go a month or two ago it's I, I not don't... the direction that i thought it was going to go a month or two ago either <laughs> well especially like i i don't know i i i was not really expecting that either so it's not i i don't think i have quite the same um there's a, there's a certain, um, kind of aggressive push for those games. There, I don't know. I'm trying to find the right word to some of the, the, the biggest kingdom hearts fans, no one, you know, I, I wouldn't put this on like anyone associated with this show, but some of the most aggressive kingdom hearts fans are a little like pushy about it in a way that I think is not necessarily warranted, but it's still like the thing that I find that I found refreshing about it um, is I kind of expected to find a lot of the like friendship and, you know, it was in our hearts all along kind of themes of the game to be really tiring and kind of like cheesy. But I actually think like, 
playing Kingdom Hearts made me stop and like think about how cynical video games are and how like even Nintendo games like Mario is very bright and colorful, but there's not much of a story in it. Um, so to actually go through a narrative with lots of narrative that is ultimately about like very earnest, positive characters was extremely refreshing because you just don't get that. I mean, like the other game that we'll talk about in a little bit is Sekiro. And like, while I am immensely enjoying Sekiro and I will say here, I think Sekiro is probably a better video game overall than kingdom hearts one um, to me, but uh it's it's like it's it's oppressive and dark and um disturbing and violent and it's really refreshing to to like kind of get invested in a narrative where the characters are earnest and friendly and like wholesome but not it's not as like cheesy and 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 silly as i thought it was going to be i guess like despite the context and the fact that like donald and goofy are there um, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a smartly told story and it is ultimately like if you play it from the perspective of the time, um, this is sort of what I mean with the Sekiro comparison is like, it, not a lot of the mechanics have aged very well from the first kingdom hearts. It's a clunky game. Um, it, it's weird even by the standards of the, the time, um, in terms of some of its mechanical stuff, but it, it's still ultimately pretty fun. And outside of, um, Atlantica is straight trash. That world is awful, uh, <laughs> because okay. it's all. Yes. But how about deep jungle? What do you think? I don't have the problem with deep jungle that a lot of people do. The platforming in that didn't bother me at all. I didn't have any issues with it. Um, I mean, the platforming is bad. Let's be clear. The platforming is, is horrendous. And the fact that the game leans into it, several times is not good. However, I never really had any problem with like, I didn't really make a lot of mistakes. Like my friend, a friend of mine that uh, listens to the show that I play uh, tabletop games with was saying that like for him, he's playing, he's doing the same thing I'm doing coincidentally and playing through them all. Um, uh, and the, uh, he was saying the hippos in deep jungle really bothered him. And I can see how that could happen, but I didn't really have a lot of trouble with them. Um, so I don't know. I did. The, and, and like, I think part of it was, I knew the boss fight is kind of bullshit in deep jungle, like the fight with uh, Clayton, but I had actually the last time that I tried to play kingdom hearts, which was at this point several years ago, but more recent enough that I remember that fight, I knew what was coming. So uh, the other thing that this playthrough kind of re made me realize is actually like 10 years ago, I got all the way through Halloween town, which is one of the last worlds you go to, uh, and just didn't finish the game, which is totally on me. I could have had this experience many years ago <laughs> if I had just played for another like four hours. But, uh, but I don't know. I will say too, that, um, this is something I keep forgetting, but you should, if you play that game now, play it with a guide in front of you because some of the um, structure of the worlds is really obtuse um, in that in some situations, like you need to go through 
to an area like a, 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 a room that you would not have gone to in the in the area for any reason really and the game doesn't really direct you there but you need to go there to trigger a cutscene or something um and so if you and i think i honestly think the reason they did that is because they wanted you to just walk around and fight stuff until you stumbled on the thing that would make the story advance. And that sucks. So like if you have a guide, then it, it's, and that helps with deep jungle too. Cause deep jungle is one of those places where it's like, you don't really know why you're just walking around fighting things. And if you have a guide in front of you, you can get like the purpose of it. Um, and then I also think that like, it's interesting. I looked, looking back on it, through a modern lens was kind of like, Oh, each of these worlds is going to be like a big area with lots of stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And some of them are very small. Like Halloween town is like three areas, like three rooms plus Oogie Boogie's mansion. That's like it. And when you go back there after you beat Oogie Boogie, there's like three areas and it's pretty short. So like, it's, it's interesting to look at now, but I think overall the story is really, really good. And the other thing that I like about it is <laughs> we're going to talk. Did you finish it, Allison? No, not yet. Ask, no, how I concerned to... are you about spoilers for the end of the game? Not at all. Well, okay. I, I was like, like the, when I first played it, I, I was super close to beating it, but I got stuck on uh, the a fight, uh, the fight with Riku near the end. And I was okay. like, fuck this. And so I, I actually really, really enjoy those kinds of fights in the game. Um, there's a fight with cloud in the arena. That's like that, where it's just like this other person has a sword and you need to like recognize their attack patterns, dodge their attacks and then hit them when they're vulnerable. I like those fights in the game a lot. There are certain fights like the fight with Ursula when she's giant sucks. The fight with Jafar when he's giant sucks. Like there are certain fights that are bad. Jafar being super easy and Ursula being very frustrating. Um, but anyway, like (laughs) the thing about the narrative that's interesting is it starts off and you're like, what's going on? This is weird. And over the course of the game, you kind of develop an understanding of the logic of the world, which is still weird, but it's not weird for like, I want to try to not lean on the, the saying it's anime because that's not really fair. It's, it's like, it's, it's convoluted, but it's not outside of the realm of, okay, this makes sense. Like every world has a keyhole and the keyholes have been, someone's been unlocking the keyholes, which has been letting the heartless in over time. You kind of learn that like, Oh, you know, there's a betrayal. There's a bad guy that wasn't really, you didn't realize he was the bad guy all along. He's kind of popped up here and there, but in a very shadowy way, they make it look like Maleficent is the big bad throughout the game. She's not, um, there's someone worse that's been manipulating the Disney villains. Uh, and that character has been experimenting with the heartless and kind of like he, the, he, they, they showed up on their own, but then he started learning how to make them and stuff. Um, and he wants to open the world, open the door to darkness, which is like you learn later on is what kingdom hearts is. They, they say kingdom hearts out loud at one point in the game. And I was like, Whoa, I was not ready for that. Uh, but, um, and it's like kingdom hearts is like the core of the universe, basically from what, I've gathered and um, it, it, it kind of all makes sense in sort of a comic booky way. And you fight the big bad guy. He at one point turns into a like 
So have, 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 are you both familiar with the battleship Yamamoto, the anime? Mm-hmm. Yes. And not, not like the story, but just like what it is. Yep. It's like a big space battleship. So imagine that, except it's like, like a heavy metal demon, biological demon thing. Okay. <laughs> but it's shaped like a ship. And then there's like a dude, a final fantasy villain attached to it with a bunch of tubes. Okay. That's, that's, that's like one of the final boss fights in it's the final boss fight in kingdom hearts. Not a thing I was really expecting. And because you've been to Neverland, you can fly. So you fly around the, the, the ship and attack like the cannons on it and stuff. It's, it's fucking weird, <laughs> but like you, you beat the bad guy. And then there's like a moment where you're stealing the door to kingdom hearts because there's a whole, like, he thinks it's the door to darkness. And so is like, you, you fool all along. It's been the door to light. And then the, the, the door opens and a beam of light, like blows away Ansem and the bad guy. And then they have to close the door because they look inside and it's like horrifying. Um, and so they go to close the door and then like Mickey pops up and is like, we can close the door together. Sora, I have a keyblade too. And Riku pops up. Who's now a good guy again. It's like, yeah, let's do it together. And you close the door and they're trapped on the other side. And it's like, okay, well, this is the setup for where the, the future games are going to go. They got to figure out how to rescue them. And Sora and Donald and Goofy are going to go on their way. And post credits, you get a scene where they meet Pluto in a field and Pluto has a like clue for them to find Mickey and stuff. And so it's very much like, okay, I can track all of this. It does not seem as weird and crazy as people make this series out to be. Maybe that's overblown. So then there's two secret videos you get based on how you perform in the game. I got one of them for having collected all the Dalmatians, I think. Oh my um, God. Good. It's not Good. hard. It's not hard. They're very easy to get and they come in. So they come in in sets of three. So every time you open a chest with Dalmatians, so it's actually only like 33 chests to find and they're not hard to get. If you have a guide, I used a guide. I didn't like find them organically. Uh, I used a guide cause you get um, a very powerful spell for getting all of them. It makes the last fights way easier. Uh, okay. Maybe so, that's what I need to do differently. Yeah, when you I should try do that. To- you get Iraga for doing it, which arrow is like super, super important in that game. Cause it gives you defensive boost. So you don't take as much damage. There's a difficulty spike in the game near the end. That sucks where like all of the basic heartless can kill you in three hits. If you have Araga, they take damage when they're in melee range over time and you don't take as much damage. Anyway, the the first of the secret videos, it's like all this text starts popping up on screen, kind of like in an anime intro sequence in like Japanese and then English in front of it. That's like, how did we get here? What comes next? The passage of time is eternal. Like all this like esoteric bullshit and then there's like a guy and there's like a a rainy dystopian cityscape that kind of looks like midgar from final fantasy 7 um and like there's a guy on the ground with a cloak on and all these heartless are around him but they're like big muscly heartless they're not just like the little little ones (laughs) and and he like throws his his cloak open and has two keyblades in his hands and then he's like spinning them around and killing all these heartless. And then there's a guy on the roof and he's like looking down. And then every so often, like a bit of text comes on screen and like, it says like the memories, they're coming back to me. I saw him in my dreams and stuff. And then it like cuts to like this, like 
rocky beach where their two characters are talking, but there's no actual voice dialogue. It's all just text that pops up in between their lips moving like a silent movie. And like Sora floating through space at one point. And then like two of these cloaks, one of these cloak figures saying, he looks just like you, you know, and <laughs> all this weird bullshit. And then it ends with like a shot of a woman on a beach that looks a little bit like Jane from Tarzan, but also like it might be Kyrie grown up. I, like, I, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's definitely like extremely, extremely strange and makes you go, Oh, okay. Never mind. There's definitely bullshit coming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought that this was going to be more co like more, uh, an easier to grasp narrative. And, and I should be clear in a way that I very much like, because I am totally here for the weird, insane cloaked people with like six key blades fighting in blade runners cities. Like that's, I don't know how we get there, but I'm excited to find out. <laughs> so that's a thing. Yeah. Wait, so those videos were in the very original, like the one that came out yes. yep. a zillion yep. years ago. Yep. And yep. no context. Nope. Great. <laughs> so that's part of why I think people have agonized so much over time with the series, because it's clear that that was kind of my thinking is maybe when they made the first, when the credits rolled and then the Pluto thing with him at the clue, it's kind of like, maybe there was never, it was never intended for the convoluted stuff to be in these games and they just did it to try to draw out and make more side side games. There are no side games. They're all main series um, God. To, to, to make more <laughs> games. Uh, but I think that they had it plotted from the beginning. <laughs> I think that there was a plan all along because those videos are super in the original. In fact, they didn't even up them for the final mix. So they look like old PS2 uh, pre-rendered cutscenes. Um, so huh. wait so you were able to get to them with a guide is there any kind of indication of how to get to those extra videos nope. if you were not nope. using a guide nope nope i talked i don't even even the guide doesn't tell you how to get them um i just happened to get the first one i think that came from getting all the dalmatians i'm not sure a uh, friend of the show uh, chris edgerton and i were talking about it and he said that to get both of them you have to get all the Dalmatians um, defeat every cup in the second one. I just watched on YouTube to clarify. Um, you have to get every cup, beat every cup in the Coliseum. They're like tournaments that you do over the course of the game. And then you have to get every Trinity Mark. Trinity Marks are like little things that you hit over the course of the game. You unlock the ability to, to do them. They're like little marks on the ground or on walls and you hit triangle and then the three of them kind of do a thing to get a thing. Do they look like uh carry on Moss? No. Yes. That'd be, that'd be great. If there's just like, uh, a, like a JPEG of carry on Moss. No, they look like three Mickey ears with a little ring uh, uh, or three Mickey heads in a little ring. Um, then. No. Uh, and then you also have to do something else. Oh, lock every lock, every world. That's the other thing I did. Um, every world has a keyhole. If you, you, the only one that's kind of, you can skip Atlantica and then the Coliseum one, you do have to beat a cup and then move a block to be able to lock the keyhole for that world. All the other ones, they happen narratively. So you have to do all of those things to get the second secret ending. So if you hundred percent it, you get it, but otherwise there's nothing that tells you that that's how you get it in the game. So, well, uh, Godspeed. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'll say briefly, I also started, um, Rechain of Memories, uh, which is 
an extremely strange game at times, very frustrating, but ultimately kind of interesting and cool. If you're like, it's the one, well, I don't know. I don't know if I should say that. I was going to say it's the one you should play. Like if you don't care about seeing the gameplay of kingdom hearts, you could definitely read about the story or watch a playthrough of it. Chain of memories is, is strange. Cause it's, it's like a card battling game. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a deck it functionally plays the rechain of memories version functionally plays a lot like the original kingdom hearts, like it's third person action RPG. But every time you hit the X button, instead of just swinging your keyblade, you're playing a card and those cards can be attacks where you just swing your keyblade or they can be spells or they can be summons like healing items. It's all done with these cards. And there's a lot more strategy because you have to pick when you're going to play certain cards um, because you don't, have them in perpetuity you can like reshuffle your deck when you run out of cards but every time you do that you have one less card coming back to you um so you can run out uh eventually um and it's very strange the combat is different on its own and then structurally the way it works is you're in this castle that has infinite rooms and so you're going back through the worlds you went to in the first kingdom hearts but you're doing it in a dungeon crawler way where like you go through a room at a time and then you use cards that are not combat cards to make rooms basically. So it'll be like, you'll have a card that get, that has like a save point on it. So if you put that in the door for the next room and each room is little, um, the next room, when you go into it, it'll have a save point in it or a treasure chest or the enemies will be sleeping or whatever. Like there's different cards that do different things to create the rooms. So it's, really weird and interesting structurally. It feels super ahead of its time. Since then, there's been games like hand of fate that kind of play with this idea in really cool ways. Um, the boss fights in chain of memories, I think are kind of bad. They're like, maybe they were better in the game boy advanced one, but like you have to fight Jafar when you go to Agrabah and there's like four platforms and they, when you fight Jafar, it's, the boss fights are all the same as they were in Kingdom Hearts 1. You're just doing them with this card mechanic. Like, they're the same. The bosses have the same mechanics. So when you fight Jafar as a genie, you have to actually target Iago flying around with the lamp. That's how you beat him. You can't beat him by attacking Jafar himself. And, like, in Kingdom Hearts 1, it's super easy and stupid because there's platforms that move around and they create cover for you from Jafar's attacks. So you just stay behind them and attack Iago and you win in, like, five minutes without taking damage in chain of memories though, because of the way the card mechanics work, you can only get attacks off. If your cards number is higher than the card that Jafar is playing and he has high numbered cards. So you basically get like two or three attacks and then you have to like reload your cards to get the high Mm -hmm. numbered cards back. And the platforms also don't move predictably predictably and Iago stays at the same height all the time. So the platforms will like drop randomly and then you can't even get to Iago. It's like super bad and frustrating. Yeah. I, I, I have a lot of fond memories of, of chain of memories, um, mostly because that is actually the first kingdom hearts game I played and I played it like pretty close to when it came out actually. Yeah, uh, so I actually did too. Yeah. So it's like, it's one of those things where I feel like if I went back and replayed it, it'd probably be a lot more bullshit. But like at the time I, I really quite enjoyed that. And I, but I do remember some of the boss fights being like very long and tedious because of the card mechanic. And then they, it also has the return of my least favorite kingdom hearts enemy, which is the big, 
the big like roly poly guys, um, <clears throat> you can't attack them from the front. You have to attack mm-hmm. them from behind. And that is maintained in chain of memories, but you're not quite as mobile in chain of memories as you are in the first one. So you have to like get behind them and they can spin around as quickly, like whenever they want to, as fast as they want to, those guys suck and they're frustrating too. But otherwise structurally, it's very cool. And I actually enjoy the hard battling quite a bit when it's against non shitty enemies. So, um, it's interesting. I to check it out. The story in it is kind of disappointing so far because it's like, you know, they stumble upon this castle and they go in it. And then there's like, it's, it's like they're going back through the same worlds they went to before. And like, when you go through Agrabah, there's no reason for you to do it. Like you show up and replay the same story beats and there's nothing new. They don't learn anything. There's no like new insights to be gleaned from it. So all the relevant story happens in between the worlds while you're going up the stairs of this tower. And it's all just like people in white rooms talking to each other. So that part of it is a little disappointing, but you also kind of need to play it because it's clear that there's pretty heavy narrative stuff in it. It's just very exposition focused. Um, there's been like multiple characters that have shown up that are clearly important and weird, but for the first time they've shown up, but like they say like four things and then you fight them and they disappear or whatever. So it's, I'm going to get through it, but there's, it's a a mixed bag for sure. Uh, doesn't feel as, I don't feel as propelled as I did in the first game, but I feel propelled to get through the series because now I'm into it and I want to be able to play through them all before the end of the year. So although it's, it's, it's so interesting to say it it redoes it, but it's, it's also the whole kingdom hearts. This is super vital to the lore, by the way. Yes. Yeah, totally. You you can tell hilarious, but kind of awful and also kind of brilliant. Like I I don't even know what I feel about it. It's the thing I don't like about this one story compared to the first one is in the first one, it feels like you're learning things about the world and characters every step of the way. And this one, it's like, here's a 10 minute sequence where we're going, you're going to learn really vital shit. And then for the next half hour, you're going to play through a rehash of one of the worlds from the first game. Granted with a cool room construction mechanic and cool combat when it's against certain enemies, but still it doesn't feel like you're learning anything new necessarily by playing through those. The other thing is that it introduces like choices as to where you put points when you level up. Um, so like, I hope I'm not screwing myself for the late game by kind of spreading the points around between hit points and CP. And also there's a thing called CP, which uh, would be great if they had changed that for the release, but it stands for card points. Uh, (laughs) um, So yeah, not captain Picard. No, not captain Picard. Um, They should have avoided that, that common misinterpretation. Yeah. There's Uh, a beat of copyright issues and and whatnot. yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to, to see that one through too, even if I'm not as enthused on it right now as I was about the first one at this point. Um, and it's also like grindy in a way that given the other game that I'm currently playing, it's a nice thing to like use to like cool off a little bit because <laughs> it's not that hard, that dumb Jafar fight aside. Generally, Chain of Memories isn't that difficult and you can kind of just like putts around and attack and fight enemies to level up without it being stressful. So that's a nice thing to have as a break. 
Speaking of, should we move to this other game that you've been playing, or should we uh, have uh, Alex to his chat? Because I know that he has. I'm curious it. about what Alex has, has been. Yeah, playing. let's let's do that because I know we both have some things to talk about. This other game that just came out yesterday. Sure. We so, talk. Alex, what's up? Uh, it's been a pretty gaming light week for me, actually. Mostly been work yeah. work week, but uh, I'm a bit further into Caligula. In fact, I'm not finished it. Uh, it is getting better okay uh, my original feelings on it were that it's okay <laughs> not that it's great um that it has a lot of problems and it still does have a lot of problems but i think the story is starting to pull its own weight now so that's been interesting and we'll, we'll get back to it uh also played a lot of overwatch with cheese uh on uh what was it Tuesday, Wednesday, I don't remember, but Baptiste officially came out and mm-hmm. her and I played mystery heroes mode, which is the one which just gives you random heroes. And mm-hmm. we're like, I'm not going to go to bed until I play Baptiste and mystery. Heroes. Oh no. We played for four hours and I didn't get them. Yeah. Once. <laughs> Ouch. So I think they actually might affect what percentages heroes show up in that mode. Uh, I agree with you. That's what that, that mode is what my partner and I play almost exclusively when we play. Yeah. And that I agree. I think that they, that they, that they, but what's stupid is I don't think that they like fleece the percentages on the characters that they should. Yes. <laughs> like you'll you frequently see like, um, double Brigitte's. Yep. And yeah. that's like bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the mode I like to play the most too. So yeah. I, I haven't played it in months, but yeah. And we, we played throughout the week and like yesterday we each played, uh, Baptiste, like, I don't know, three or four times each. So they've since probably changed those numbers and that's been good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've continued with tents and trees, you know, it's a good nighttime game. Yep. Same. Uh, and the newest one is I played the tiniest bit of star Trek timelines and boy, um, I wish that game didn't suck. Yeah. That's probably that little bit of star Trek timelines is probably the most I'll play of it. Um, yeah. It's like, one step away from being just okay in almost every way, but it never crosses the line from mediocrity in any category. (laughs) I even like, I, I I did the thing you can do a kind of neat thing that where you can, you can actually get it on steam. Um, and you can, you can link your account between steam and it's just the mobile version. Like it's just, you're just replacing the pointer mouse pointer for the finger and the, um, you can kind of like link your progress between the two. Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, maybe if I had it up on my PC screen and was like watching a video or something and just doing it as kind of like a mindless side thing, maybe I would enjoy it more because I would be able to get some progress there and then take it on my phone and then, you know, use it when I'm on a bus or whatever. Yeah. But it's just not a good game, unfortunately. Yeah. Like, like just so many things are off. Like the story is nearly non-existent. Like you would think, oh, this time travel thing seems kind of cool, but the, unfortunately the writing is also pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, and mechanically it's like, Oh, it's all over like the place. You said, it's, and it's almost cool, but even it's not even that it's free to play. That's the problem necessarily. Like, I think even if they gave you everything, if even if you paid like $5 and it was a linear progression and not free to play, it still would not be good because you're basically just like putting things in slots and then rolling dice. Yeah. And, and you do get enough of insight. Like it gets kind of a rock, paper, scissors thing, but you can kind of see what the other person's going to play. So it's like, mm-hmm. you can plan it out and it's not that hard, but it's just, I don't know. Like, yeah, the gameplay scenarios and everything are just kind of a mess. 
it tries to do different stuff, which is like, Hey, good for them. But like, none of it is particularly good. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like there's heart behind in like disruptor beam seems like it has the, the studio has like smart ideas and like, they really are trying. It doesn't feel like they just were throwing it away. Like, it's not like, like there's another more recent Starcraft, Starcraft, Star Trek mobile game <laughs> that is just clash of clans, but in space with Star Trek ships. Yeah. Like that thing is stupid. It's just like, they just decided they could make some money off of the license by making a clone of a, you know, game of war or clash of clans, whatever those yeah. style games where there's a map and resources that move around. But like timelines feels like they're trying to do something unique. It's just not good. Yep. And to, should be noted, like this pulls characters from all over the series. Like um, you can have Janeway, you can have Cisco and you can have Picard and mm-hmm. Kirk. Like you can have all the captains, uh, Pike, like everybody. Um, but there's only one fully voiced character in the entire game. And that's John Delancey's Q, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which admittedly he does it well. And it sounds, yeah. it sounds and feels just like Q from the show. Uh, but it's super jarring to go from like his full dialogue to like, almost like the barks Pokemon, like quips that <laughs> yeah. come from all the other characters. Yeah. Like you'll have this full block of text from Kirk and he just says Kirk here every time. Yeah. And like per- Picard <laughs> says, make it so every time. Yeah. And it's just like, that, I and, mean, it, and it, it sounds like it's just all he says in, in the show. Like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a big uh, um, TNG person. Like, I need, I need to watch it. But I just thought that Picard just said, "Make it so," like constantly. That's it. Yeah, that's basically it. Like, he goes to the uh, the other planets, and he never breaks the Prime Directive by only saying, "Make it so." <laughs> Make it so, and occasionally Shakespeare quotes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very occasionally. Yeah. The writing, oh my god, the writing on all those characters is terrible. Yeah, and that's one of the things that was a huge turnoff to me is as a huge TNG fan, like all the writing for Picard, whenever it comes up, I was just like, this is not how Picard would talk. <laughs> this is terrible. Yeah, it's, all like, it's weird. I feel bad. It's weird. Like, people like wrote brooding? that. So, it's, yes. And it's yeah. Not, it's, not, it's like really bad fan fiction. Yes. And I feel bad. I don't mean to rip it apart too much. Like people wrote this, worked on it. It's like, and I think they cared and I think they were trying, but I just think it misses the mark. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. So Uh, I'm I'm probably not going to play too much more of it. I I wanted to try it because I do love Star Trek. Um, and if, if anything, it is kind of, I almost wish you didn't have to play the game for this. It's, it's kind of like, you know that Star Wars trading cards app that doesn't have any functionality other than you pull trading cards? It does have kind of like a gotcha mechanic in in Star Trek timelines where you're like pulling characters. <laughs> and that's kind of fun in a weird way to just collect the characters. But similar to like the Marvel gotcha games, it's not like you're pulling a character and getting like Janeway or Riker. It's like you're pulling a character and you're getting like someone that you maybe forgot about existing Ensign number five, sort like, of, not quite that bad. They're all, I think they're all named characters, yeah, but they are, they have been so far. There's been some but, from star Trek discovery that I just don't know. Cause I haven't watched it, but yeah, that's but fair. Yeah, like but, I recognize pretty much every character, but it's, it's, it's just not as satisfying as it's not like you're, I don't know. I felt like I wasn't like, Oh sweet. I got wharf. It, it's like not as satisfying, I guess as yeah. like, other I like, gotchas. I was like, oh, it, hey, it's Beverly Crusher. Okay. Yeah, right. 
which isn't anything against Beverly Crusher, but no, of course it's just like, it's everything against uh, Beverly Crusher. <laughs> I just don't Crusher, but like, it's just her dialogue is about, it's a line that says, hi, what am I doing here? Why did my ship blow up? Okay. Bye. Yeah. Right. That's <laughs> yeah. 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 And, you know, I, I, I kind of would like, it'd be kind of interesting to see if, if more licenses could just do a very, very basic gotcha game because the, like the whole collecting characters is really satisfying. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one of my, uh, mobile games that I've been into lately is, uh, Disney emoji blitz. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. I've Which, seen this. I've seen this. How is it? It's, I, I like it a lot. <laughs> like it's, it's pretty much a match three game, yeah. um, on a timer. So you have like 60 seconds to, to do it, but there's various missions you can do. And each emoji that you collect is representative of a different Disney character. And all of them have very special, like special abilities. So you can like, but, but I feel like, like you don't necessarily need to have a convoluted thing to have like a gotcha mechanic in a game. And I, for example, like, if they had a game that was literally this, but just like Star Wars, I would be really into it. I don't know. It's I mean, there's the Star Wars trading card. Um, I, I I have that on my phone, but I haven't really gotten into it. I, I couldn't get into it either. Yeah. I, I tried, but there's the weird Star Wars game. Well, you okay? Sorry, Alex. If you have any more thoughts on timelines, yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it. Uh, maybe don't play it. Okay. <laughs> have you played Galaxy of Heroes, Allison? No, I, I well. Oh, that game is good. You should play that game. You should play that game. Okay. It's 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 it sounds dumb. I only don't play it because I played a lot of it and kind of got bored of it over time. But it's actually like pretty good. It's Star Wars gotcha. Granted, it includes a lot of generic like stormtrooper and stuff. But um, stormtrooper number eighteen, and you're like, how many fucking stormtroopers? <laughs> yeah, right. But <laughs> it has like it, the progression is kind of. Um, you have to be really patient unless you want to spend money at a certain point. Um, but you can play it for a fair amount of time before you hit that wall. And it's basically like gotcha, but then combined with Final Fantasy turn-based battles. Okay. Where, where like it's it's your team of four heroes or whatever like you know you could be there's heroes and villain content so you can you make a hero team and a villain team um and then there's like a map where it's like you're let's play this mission and you go to that mission and it'll be like three fights and um there's nothing in between the fights it's just the fights there's no moving around okay. and you each character's turn comes up and then they have an ability they have like three abilities and you get to pick which one to use it actually has some modicum of strategy like it's pretty easy if you're leveled appropriately for it but you do have to think a little bit about like oh i should use this jedi's healing ability this turn or oh there's an enemy who's weak to lightsaber so i should use this slash or oh i'm fighting four weak stormtroopers so i should use their spin move and hit them all at once so like it has a little bit of that kind of strategy and it's very satisfying to get characters and level them up. Um, I don't know. It's, it's actually, as those games go, I think it's probably the best one that I've played for sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I've, I've, I actually ha- still have it on my phone and I've like touched it barely, yeah. but knowing that it gets the pat seal of approval, uh, maybe I'll just give it a little bit more time to get into. Yeah. And I don't like those kinds of games normally. So I'm, I don't, I'm not like playing a ton of them in my, 
<laughs> spare time. Uh, I, I have pretty much only played tents and trees and I tried the Sims mobile cause I was curious and it's not very good. Yeah, it isn't. I, I've tried that for about 20 minutes once. Yeah. Uh, I got something else to talk about that. I don't know. If, this happened about two hours before we started the podcast. And I don't know if you guys actually saw this. Yeah. The first trailer for persona five R came out. I saw, I haven't watched it, but I saw. Uh, I gave it. Wake me up when uh, Persona Five Switch comes out. Yeah, so it, so it's interesting. It doesn't reveal all that much. Um, the Atlas was saying for quite a while they were like, uh, "Hey, we're gonna have more news about Persona Four or Persona Five R in March." And that's this trailer. And at the end of that trailer, they're like, we're going to have more info about Persona 5R in April. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really frustrating. I'm looking at the news story. I haven't watched the trailer, but it looks from what they're saying in the story that it's totally Persona 5 Golden. So but- people are pretty split on it. I've been reading a lot of, or I had read a lot of comments on it before we started. And um, it seems. So people are split as to whether the character who is shown in this, who is this lady with a ponytail uh, Mm -hmm. and appears to be a first year student at the same high school as Persona 5, Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not she's a protagonist, whether or not she is a new uh, social link or confidant, like if she's a new chapter uh, Mm -hmm. or if she's kind of like a Marie like character from Persona 4 Golden. Like no, mm. no one really knows cause they're being pretty ambiguous about it. And we're going to find out in April supposedly, which is again, announcements of announcements need to stop. <laughs> yeah, I agreed. Uh, yeah, that is disappointing, but I kind of just, whatever. I assume that's kind of what it'll be, which is part of why I haven't played persona five, even though I own it on PS4 is cause I want to see if it's ever since the Joker reveal, I'm kind of like, is they're going to do golden on switch. Right. And man, that would be good. I, I it, just would be real good. it just seems like the smart, I don't know. It seems like if you want to sell copies, I'm not going to buy persona five R on PS4. If it's a PS4 game, yeah. I mean, I'm going to buy it where people will. I'd prefer yeah. it on switch. Plenty of people will do that. I'm not saying that like it won't sell at all, but can, can you imagine if they put it on Vita? <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. I would be totally I, here for that. I would have to buy a new Vita then probably. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I would be super into that. But yeah, I don't know. It it's kind of a nothing trailer, but it's worth watching if you care about yeah. Persona at all. Um But yeah, yeah. But, uh, people have been waiting for it. It's here and it was kind of underwhelming, but it was also kind of cool. So uh the other thing I'll talk about like ultra briefly, uh, because Allison, you actually brought this up to me probably, I don't know, two months ago. Uh, was that she's and I have been watching the promised Neverland and it's final, oh. it's final episode for the season comes out next week. Uh, and we've been watching it week for week or week by week rather. Uh, that's pretty exceptional. <laughs> I, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, yeah. I need to get caught up because I'm, I'm a little bit behind now, but that's yeah. that I, I I'm glad that I was right in that. Uh, that show seemed very up your alley. Yeah, it is extremely up my alley. It's um, it's like death note, but good uh in that like it's <laughs> it's very psychological thriller slash horror and like super intelligently written like it, it feels like every character and every um every scene has a reason to be there like everybody plays a part and like everybody's thinking it like chess like five moves that moves ahead and yeah it's it's really really interesting it's really good cool I'm glad you like it. And uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if there's much more to say about it because I feel like 
there's like there's like a reveal in the first episode that I feel like is a good one to just like if you went in completely blind, which I didn't, which I wish I had, but uh, uh but it, it'll be very it, quick, it, quick and easy for you to tell if it's for you. Yes. Cool. Yes. Like first episode, I feel like you can tell basically. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's it's yeah. it's it's a it's a rad show. So yeah, it's I like it. Sister Crone is a really great character. <laughs> she, she's she is like simultaneously amazing and like you're like weirdly terrifying. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah, she's really. They do a really interesting job of making her extremely creepy, but also like kind of endearing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I get that. Yeah, yeah. It's, so. Yeah. That, there's a lot that we could say about that show, but it would just dive into spoilers almost immediately. So yes. Yeah, uh, you should watch that show. And uh, the last episode is next week. So uh, I can only imagine it's going to end on a cliffhanger, given that every single episode has ended on a cliffhanger thus far. <laughs> Probably, and the and the manga is pretty. There's a lot of it. It's still so, it's still ongoing. Uh, yeah, for, at least for the next couple months. So there, it still doesn't actually have an ending. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, Promise Neverland really good. Sounds good. So, uh, should we jump into uh, the game that both Pat and I have touched this week? Before we do that, I did want to touch briefly because we I, that Persona Five R thing made me think about it. Um, yesterday morning, uh, the Paradox announced that there is a sequel to Vampire oh, the Masquerade yeah. Bloodlines. Oh, that's right. Um, Bloodlines is easily in my top five favorite games of all time. It is. If you have not played it you should go play it. Is, it is, is it, it still is, worth it considering it's yeah. so fairly old. Okay. Cool. Yes. It's there's got, a fan patch. That's incredible. And it has, oh, a, it has such a strong story. Oh God. And the mechanics. Yes. Since then there have been other games. The one that wait, what was Oh, pray pray comes to mind as a game that is mm-hmm. similarly and similar in some ways, mechanically, nothing has come close to the tone of bloodlines for me though, in terms of like, doing that in an interesting modern urban fantasy context. Um, we should say up front that like vampire, the masquerade has, has had an extremely rocky history as a tabletop game from being, um, a game with a lot of weird issues in terms of like the player base being kind of problematic to the writing team behind it being extremely problematic and having a lot of really reprehensible views and injecting them into the game. Um, we were talking about it yesterday and, um, Andre was suggesting that maybe, the people that had that were doing that got thrown off of it and, and removed from it. So it's back to maybe not being as horrible. I really don't know. I haven't followed it, mm-hmm. but you don't need to have any appreciation for the tabletop game. And I would in fact, not recommend the tabletop game personally as someone who has read bits of it. There are better um, urban fantasy RPG settings for pen and paper. Um, I don't think it's worth tracking it down, frankly. Uh, and it relies heavily on LARPing. Um, even like as you play around a table, the idea is that you're supposed to, and and because it's vampires, there's a lot of very strange, it's very easy for games of that system to get into really weird, uncomfortable territory. Um, so I don't recommend it. However, the bloodlines, the video game is incredible and it has, it's a immersive sim that has heavy RPG mechanics. And that's sort of what sets it apart from just being like, you know, uh, a, a, 
um, like a thief or something like that. It's more along the lines of like a deus ex and that it has pretty deep RPG mechanics on top of being an immersive sim where you're like sneaking into someone's house and looking at their email or whatever. Um, and it's told in these really rich environments that feel very populated and that have a lot of interesting characters in them. Um, the combat is pretty okay, actually, which is neat. Um, it's like a shooter or you can focus on melee as well, but it's not bad. Um, and it just has such a cool story. Uh, and, and, and then cool mechanical things like you can be, you pick your clan at the beginning, you can be a Nosferatu, which are like the, like monstrous looking vampires. They look like Nosferatu from the film Nosferatu. And like, you can't be in public when you're in Nosferatu because people, when they see you will know that you're a vampire and the police will come and shoot at you and you'll die. Um, because like you can, vampires are not nearly as invincible in vampire, the masquerade as they are in a lot of other fiction. Um, and so, uh, you have to move around in the sewers the whole game, um, to like, and pop up at different entry points in the sewers to go and do important story stuff it's just cool the way that the game adapts to how you build your character and play it. So I highly recommend it. Um, and the sequel sounds really neat. One of the things that I'm positive about when I heard about the sequel, I was a little bit concerned that some of the shitty politics from the tabletop game, like sometimes it's hard to know paradox is generally pretty good about having interesting political views that aren't terrible, but still sometimes they're a little tone deaf. Like Stellaris has the whole slavery thing. That's a little weird. And it's certainly not like a pro slavery game at all, but the fact that it's in there at all is a little strange. Um, but, but you know what makes me more confident that it'll be okay. Uh, Chris, Avalon. Chris Avalon is on the project. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so they also, there was a panel, I didn't watch it directly, but I saw some quotes from it where they talked about the game being very focused on like inclusion, um, and diversity. And they talked about like, I guess they directly addressed like pronouns and stuff in terms of character creation and that they're dedicated to making it a game that is, that's fit for 2019's landscape of like having respect for queer folks and having respect for diversity and having respect, like, you know, um, racial diversity and stuff. And, um, it seems like they're trying to get out in front of the kind of shaky history from recent tabletop stuff and say like, no, 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 we're focused on making this a game for everyone. Um, and then it's also set in Seattle, which is pretty cool. Um, as someone who lives there, uh, it's kind of neat. The first game was set in Southern California pretty much exclusively. Um, so anyway, very excited about that. We don't really know that much about it, yep. but other than it, Brian Mitsoda's on, is leading it. And he also wrote the first one. So. Yeah. Which is exciting. Um, that was my first thought when I first saw it was like, is this even the people like, is, are there anyone, is there anyone involved in this that had anything to do with the first game? But it, it is. And it seems like a thing to be excited about when it's coming next March right now is what they're, they're targeting. Yeah. Uh, and like, I was super surprised when I saw that trailer drop. Cause like for me, I just saw it drop out of nowhere. I was like, Oh, what this, the sequel to a game that I liked 15 years ago is coming out. Okay. Yeah. I never <laughs> thought that I, I assumed that eventually we would get a spiritual successor for to it, but, um, not a direct sequel. I never thought you'd see a sequel. And so that's like, and if it's, you know, you can only imagine like if the sequel is really good, maybe that opens the door for them to continue making 
games that would be really cool with that lineage uh which would be amazing because it truly truly is one of my favorite games ever made so yeah. i'm now excited to play it again this year it's been a year and a half since i last played it so <laughs> I'm, I'm i've probably played it 10 times uh uh, I'm gonna play it again. I'm not that. I haven't done ten. But ten might be an exaggeration now that I think yeah. about it. It's but between cool. five I, and ten times. Yeah. I uh, just put it on my uh, Steam wish list, so I, I, I've seen it on sale before. But I've always kind of like gone, well, it's, I, it wasn't just good at the time, or is it still good now? So I'm I, I'm excited to check it out because I always need more good RPGs in my life. Cool. Yeah, it it's got s- some elements that probably haven't aged amazingly, but generally it's i think it'll hold up really well and that fan patch for it is very good and makes it work on modern machines in like modern resolutions and spruces up the visuals a little bit it was a really good looking game at the time so like it still holds up pretty well in my opinion um yeah there's like i i won't go too deep on it for people but the part where i have the moment where i truly fell in love with that game is like there's a part a few hours in where it becomes a survival horror game for like not a survival horror game not the survival parts but it becomes a horror game for like an hour where you're like you go through a scenario that is like you're playing like a scary horror game and that's it just does it for an hour but it, it like the those immersive sim like the way it dynamically kind of shifts the tone and um the the some areas are very combat focused some are very stealth and exploration focused it's just very cool the way it puts all that stuff together but yeah uh speaking of <laughs> i don't even know how to transition it but speaking of speaking games of where you play video games <laughs> sure yeah there you go speaking good video of, games i think that's i think games. that's a good uh transition for all of us on <laughs> podcasts Yes. So. <laughs> so we've been playing FromSoft's most recent uh, banger experience. <laughs> experience is a good way to put it, um, which is uh, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Uh, I know that Pat's been playing a little bit more than, or has played a little bit more so far than me. So. I think I think it would also be appropriate to say, like, since this is kind of probably the last thing we're going to talk about, um, if you're um, concerned about. Do you have other stuff to talk about? Yeah. Okay. We should get that out of the way. We should do Sekiro last because we okay, should be cool. able to say there's people that don't want to know that like there are swords in the game. So like, for what? Me, <laughs> holy shit! I'm kidding. That's an exaggeration. But there are people no, who kidding. don't want to know. There's not swords that. in this game. There uh, are no swords. Um, so we should talk yeah. about everything else first. Okay, and, cool. Like, disclaimer um, that and let people go. I'll, I'll be super super quick. Um, so sure. first thing. Uh, well, I, one game, I have one game and one, uh, Nintendo showcase that I'd like to talk about. Uh, (laughs) so the first thing is, is the game, uh, which I've also been playing, which is, uh, Puyo Puyo Tetris, um, which I, uh, so last weekend I had kind of a stressful weekend, um, not to go too much into it, but, I was uh, visiting family in the hospital pretty much all weekend. So uh, I was playing a lot of games on my Switch, especially when there's a lot of waiting around. And one that I played a lot of was, uh, in particular, was Puyo Puyo Tetris, because I suddenly decided I need to beat the story mode, um, which I'm almost at. Uh, I've beat, I've gotten credits on it, but there's a couple of like additional chapters at the end that are just kind of side stories. Um, 
but yeah, that game is, is real good. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I I'm, ext- I'm much worse at Puyo Puyo than I am at Tetris. Yeah, I've never so whenever to, Tetris yeah. comes up, hmm? I've never been able to f- quite figure out any strategies for Puyo Puyo. I can set up like very basic, uh, like very basic um combos Mm -hmm. but like only the most basic of combos yeah same where it's like oh here's three at the bottom and let's put some other colors on it and then that one so it's like the most basic of combos but i'm not good at setting up like massive combos um so sometimes when I'm playing the story mode, it's like, oh, cool. I can, I can breeze through some of the Tetris ones because I, I've played a lot more Tetris in my life than I've played Puyo Puyo. And then a Puyo Puyo comes up, um, which is, is hard, but I, I think it's, um, the, adve- if, if, if you like both of those games, I think the adventure mode is actually a really, really great way of, um, teaching it because it, it kind of, forces you to get good at a Puyo Puyo. Um, and it, it, it shuffles through all the different modes that are, that are there. Um, and, uh, it's, but it's also just super, super charming. There are a bunch of characters. They're all, it's all very adorable. And, uh, so I've still never played the English version of this game. I imported <laughs> the Japanese version when it came out. So this was probably the what? 2014. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know any of the characters' names. I, I, <laughs> but yeah, I do love the dog in the lab coat and, yep. uh, like, yeah, there's like the robot and the Tetris robot. The Tetris robot who, uh, is the dad of uh, another Tetris character. Oh. Like, lovely. <laughs> I don't uh-huh. even know. <laughs> but there's just a lot of like, there's a lot of charm and to the point where, um, so this, the, the story is, pretty basic like the the universes of the uh puyo puyo world and the tetris world are uh smashed together and i need to figure out what they what, what's happening but i genuinely got a little bit like uh i was a little bit uh touched by the ending and i'm like what the fuck where did this ha- when did this happen because the the the, the the story is not serious at all. And it, I don't think it's even necessarily particularly good. I mean, like it's not something where I'm going to say you, if you don't like Tetris or Puyo Puyo play this game for the story, because it's not, but, but, but it, it's, it's, it's very sweet. And, uh, and I mentioned this in the, uh, in our group chat earlier. Um, but, uh, the fusion mode is hard. It's extremely hard. And, and it's something that it's, but, but it's like, I kind of want to get good at it because, uh, well, if, if you haven't played it, so like there's, there's the, it's the two different, uh, puzzle games, Tetris and Puyo Puyo fusion mode is like, but what if you played it on the exact same board at the same time? Yep. And it randomly decided, Hey, we're going to switch to the other, the other game now. Oh no. Are you? Are, the, or am I thinking of a different mode? You're thinking of the swap mode. Oh, okay. Sorry. Where you, like, where you switch back and forth. Yes. Whereas fusion mode is literally at the same time. Oh, that you, one. Right, right. Okay. You, you have different pieces that are falling down. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I remember now. Sorry. My bad. Yeah. No worries. Uh, the swap mode is still like hard, is hard because I'm not good at Puyo Puyo. So whenever it switches over to that, I'm like, oh my God, yes. I just have to survive until Tetris. Um, <laughs> 
But, but for this one, it's uh, you're literally playing two games on the exact same board. Yep. So you have to be combining your strategies for Puyo Puyo, your strategies for Tetris, and then your strategies for all of them. Because uh, Tetris blocks automatically fall to the bottom of the Puyos. So there's a lot of strategy of, like, if you do that, it'll shift the Puyos up. So then you might be able to get a combo or uh, Tetris blocks go through garbage. So, like... Let's do some uh, damage control and just do a f- uh, four block all down at once to get rid of a ton of garbage. And it's surprise. It's fun, but it is is real hard. So, so I've uh, but it's it's been an enjoyable type of challenge because I feel like there are certain modes that I feel like are really really easy for me, and then there are certain modes like that where I'm just like, what the hell am I doing here? So, um, that's been, that's been a fun diversion for me. Uh, and another fun diversion for me was the Nintendo Nindies, uh, showcase, which, yeah. uh, I, I feel like the, um, nin, uh, I, I feel like it's like the perfect showcase for me in terms of video games, considering I love indie games and I play uh, my the, the switch is my favorite way to play games right now so it's just it's just like oh this is going to be this lovely showcase of games that i'm all that i'm going to play um so I, I i can do just a quick rundown of some of the games but do you guys have any thoughts of it right away or anything that stood out to you immediately yeah definitely um well i mean the one that stood out to me is i think the same one that stood out to you so we can talk about it in a sec but uh, the final one was definitely a surprise. Yeah. So the final one, which is the biggest reveal of the game, was the mix of Crypto the Necrodancer and the Legend of Zelda uh, yeah. and Cadence of Hyrule. That looks really good. Yeah. I am so excited for that. I, I, I love Crypto the Necrodancer. So it's. I love it, and I'm terrible at it. So yeah, that me too. But like, I'm. <laughs> so, I, we talked about this in our group chat also, but. I'm super surprised that Nintendo was willing to listen or license rather one of their biggest properties to an indie studio. I'm actually yeah. kind of, I think it's great in terms of this game. I cannot, I really don't enjoy Crypt of the Necrodancer, but it's clearly an incredibly well-made game. Um, so I think it is good that they gave this team that license. I would hope that this does not, I don't know. I hope that, Given the proclivity for shovelware on recent Nintendo consoles that the Switch has largely avoided by making the shovelware digital and stuff that you don't really have to see as much mm-hmm. unless you want to buy anything on the store, in which case it's there and in the way, but whatever. Like, I hope that they don't give the Nintendo characters to those more shovelware developers. That's all. I feel like they would be a bit I... more discerning than that. <laughs> I would yeah, hope. I feel I feel like um, they've, from what I've, for better or worse, then Switch is, from what I understand, pretty easy to develop for, which is good in that there's a lot more indie games, and it's bad because there is a fuck ton of shovelware. Yeah, but um, but I think that with the Nindies, like with stuff like the Nindies showcase, um, and some of the things that they bring to the front, they they are trying to do their best or not their best, but they are doing some sort of curation in terms of uh, what they highlight at least what they're highlighting. So I can, I I'm, I'm hoping 
that when it comes to some of their bigger licenses that they are doing some form of curation and not just saying like, Hey, if you give us yeah, a thousand bucks, and I assume they are. The and but, the things they've chosen to highlight have been very high quality. Like everything yeah. that they've put, all the stuff that they've put, like the Nindies name used in the same breath as the term Nindies has been very high quality, even if not, if it's not personally for me a lot of the time. Um, right. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I sure, sure hope that they still have the memory of the Philips CDI Zelda games to realize, uh, let's maybe yeah. not be super, uh, let's yeah. be a little bit careful with this. Franchise. Yep. yep agreed. That, that and the super Mario brothers movie. Ooh. God, that what a movie that is! Um, the Super Mario Brothers movie is the dumb stuff that I want them to man, do. Though. I had that? a good time watching it, so yeah, you know. exactly. It would have been better if it had Captain Lou Albano. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Anyways, what are some anyway. other games? What are some other games that you're into from it, Allison? Okay, um, do they have Captain Lou Albano? Does he swing his arms from side to side? Uh, I'm going to say probably not, but, uh, you never know. Okay. So I'm just gonna, I, I'm just gonna go down the list of, of, of what they announced and say things like just highlight some of the games that I'm interested in, but if there's stuff that I'm missing and you're like, Allison, why aren't you super hyped about this? Then bring it up. Um, so the first one that they announced at the, in the Nindy showcase was a uh, port of cuphead to the switch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am from, from Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that's, which is, which is super interesting. Um, and I am fully ready to buy cuphead again and be just as bad at it as I was on PC. Have you seen so. the, the developers of cuphead are like super hot on trying to get him into smash? That's great. That. Yeah. That, that'd be a great, that's a great idea. Yeah. And I don't know if like they've already, if they've, I'm, I'm assuming they've probably already planned all of the people that are in the, in the first the, battle pass or whatever, pack, but first pack, but there might be a second. Yeah. And, you got to assume that smash ultimate is going to be a platform for years. Yeah. And so, uh, pretty cool. Cuphead would actually be legitimately pretty. Yeah. And pretty good. Get, I, I could see that being in there too. Obviously, He'd have to be, he, they would just make him a skin, and it skin? would. Or yeah. <laughs> what if they made like him just like full shadow fighter? So they're just like going That'd all in amazing. a cuphead. That'd be very good. But but yeah, no, it's I I think that's I I don't know if I was I I certainly wasn't expecting that. Um, Cuphead's fun game, even though I am aforementioned at it. So yeah, we'll get to hard games again. But we'll get yeah. to hard games. God. Um, yeah. So let's see. The next one that uh, I, I don't have a lot to say for, but it looked really good, was my friend uh, Pedro. Is that the one with the banana? The one with the banana. Um, it's mostly, like, it, it's a lot of, um, it looks like it's a very interesting uh, uh, action game, but the one thing that made me kind of mostly psyched is uh, it's the new one from Devolver Digital which I feel like they're usually a pretty good uh, indicator of quality, at least in indie games. So um, I, I'm, I'm interested in that. Uh, there's the game uh, Neocab, which is you, which is the feels too real thing where you're a uh, cab driver and you're the last cab driver in a world with uh, automation. Um, yep. it, the aesthetic is very interesting. Um, my my sibling was immediately like, "That's my aesthetic," and uh, <laughs> it reminds me of the subsurface game. The wait, is it are they the sub circular games? 
Um, like, yeah. Yes. Which I still should play at some point because those are supposed to be very, very good. Me too. And um, I have the first one and I have not played it. Um, yeah. But I, I think that um, it looks it looks neat. Uh, and the, I, I'm just excited to see a little bit more. Uh, the one that a lot of people uh, thought, and I think this is one you're talking about, is the Red Lantern, Hell yeah. where you're pl- where you're playing as a uh, character with um, training for uh, the Iditarod, training for the Iditarod with uh, sled dogs. Um, so it's it has uh, it's sto- it's both kind of story and character driven, but it also has a like a roguelike element to it, and it looks really pretty and. Uh, emotional. You can pet the dogs, which is a plus. Yeah, that's um, it's very that's important. Yeah. Very important. Well, I, I was in a group chat for a Facebook group, and we're like, "Can you pet the dogs in this game?" And then the, they they showed that, and we're like, "Okay, this game is good." Game and game. we've also we've also, <laughs> but we've also just uh, announced that the villain of the year is the bear in the trailer because <laughs> don't yeah. don't attack my I dogs. Mean, that made me really. That made me way more invested in that game because it shows that you know there's no plot armor no absolutely not well so, because you see yeah. you see like you don't just get another dog like you see the the sled later and it's like you you're, you're down one dog and yeah i'm interested to see for sure i feel like the trailer gives an idea of what the mechanics of that game are going to be like but i'm going to be curious it seems like something that if they nail it will be really 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 emotional and good but it also seems like a really hard thing to nail so if i could see it being disappointing as well but like if it's good i'm very very excited about that for sure yeah Yeah, and a lot of people were um comparing it to firewatch and so like Hmm. if more games are kind of aiming in that direction interesting like in terms of story funny is i don't really know that i'm interested in more i mean i love well complicated feelings about firewatch i i think firewatch is an incredible video game i don't know that um another one that has some of those narrative elements could be very good i don't know that i need to see a a lot of those um because i think it's a it's a it's a structure that could over a lot of games get kind of stale um but Red Lantern looks like maybe it could split the difference between having mechanical elements and being very narrative, um, which is a cool concept to me. Yeah, absolutely. What was next? What was next? Um, I'm skipping yeah. over a couple games. In yeah, here. We, should, we have to skip because if we talk yeah, for we a minute all, about each one, it'll be another hour. <laughs> uh, 30 games on that list. There's that weird <laughs> double fine game. <laughs> Yeah, uh, just quickly, the one other one I'm just going to say is Katana Zero, which I thought looked pretty similar to my friend Pedro, except uh, apparently you see a therapist during it, and I'm like, this feels too real, and I kind of love it. The art for Katana uh, Zero is super rad, too. Uh, it it I'm does. way into that. I don't, I like, uh, I'm kind of over pixel art side scrollers for the most part, but I like it when they have that super fluid, like, crazy over animated look and this one has that it looks really cool yeah it looks really fun and I'm, I'm all for games where you do the kind of time manipulation and so speaking of things that are rad there's a new double fine game called rad yeah they really um, played hard into it as double fine is want to do yeah but i think it looks pretty fun i'm 
uh, where you uh, can cha uh, change up your character, uh, mutate your character throughout. Uh, Double Fine is, has a good history of a fun game, so I uh, give it a shot. Uh, yeah, I hope it's good. It's, it's kind of like maybe like a like a take on sort of the like nuclear throne, which also was announced for switch in this, um, yeah. but, but, but less, not as procedural as nuclear throne, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so the next one that I, I'm mostly really interested in is creature in the well, which is the action adventure game with pinball. Um, yeah. I, I fucking loved, uh, Yoku's Island express. Uh, and this is going to be a little bit less pinball y from what I understand. Um, just more kind of pinball inspired, but I'm super excited for this one. It looks really fun. It's got a really cool look. It does. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, next one. I don't know if we have a lot to say about or not. It's not the next one, but one that looks kind of cool is pine, which is the open world kind of kind of, it looks sort of similar ish to a breath of the wild where you're uh, doing a lot of, roaming around but i think it looks looks neat this is actually the one i'm most excited about i think from from the the whole thing um it definitely looks like it could be like a, a very very cool video game i don't know it, it's from what i was reading about it um it has more survival elements than um breath of the wild where mm -hmm. it's it's it has a little bit of that stick and rock stuff where you're like crafting things and getting food and stuff but it looks like it has more of a open world and, and sort of maybe narrative thrust than like a rust or whatever, which is the thing that pushes me away from those games is the complete lack of like progression and narrative really. Well, I shouldn't say lack of progression, but boring progression and lack of narrative. Mm -hmm. um, but pine looks really cool. I dig the art style. It's so cool. The like yeah. alligator monster things. Oh, those are awesome. It looks really good. Skipping over a bunch and, uh, I, I don't know how much you guys were into this, but Blaster Master Zero 2. Right. I'm mostly excited because of that uh, title. I is forgot about that. Yeah, that was Zero surprising. 2. Uh, I, people, I, I've heard people who say that they, who really liked Blaster Master Zero, say they really like this too. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's cool. I haven't, I don't have a connection to those games, but uh, it's neat that they're doing it. Really rad. Um, and, yeah, there's also a, a Stranger Things game, which I I kind of that bounced a, off of Stranger Things uh, in mid-season two, so I don't know if I'll watch it or play yeah, this. But that, uh, that was announced a long time ago, actually. The game. Yeah. yeah. But there's a, there's a trailer for that. And then the last one that they announced was Cadence of Hyrule, which I th uh, was understandably probably what most people were talking about. Yeah, it was but. another one of those really good trailer reveals where you're just like oh shit is this oh what and then yeah it's it's wild <laughs> watching the trailer like where it very subtly starts kind of introducing zelda elements and if that music sounds familiar wait that those th those things look familiar it. yeah wait it couldn't be and then you <laughs> they show like and you're like fuck yes <laughs> exactly yeah that was, that was, was a good super, trailer that was super cool so uh, it was very fun to watch yeah not much yeah, to say so, about it other than super looking forward to that. Yeah, so uh, I think I think all in all, just like my giant uh, um, overarching thing is that I feel like even the games that I didn't really mention, I, there weren't there wasn't much that I wasn't really at least interested in giving a shot. So 
I will say too about that crypto the the cadence of Hyrule thing. I don't particularly enjoy crypto the Necrodancer. However, and I didn't part of it. I didn't love the music from it personally. Um, it's extremely well made. I will take these chip tuny hyped up remixes of Zelda music though. I will down. I will listen to that soundtrack oh. many many times. <laughs> so does that mean that they're handing the keys of that classic soundtrack to Danny Baranowski? Yeah, that's the sound in the trailer. It's it's yeah. yeah. So yes, that's that I will say is regardless of whether or not I end up playing the game, I will that soundtrack is gonna be hot. Yeah. Everybody everybody should love Danny B. He's wonderful. That's gonna be very good. So do you guys have any other thoughts about it or it uh the only other thing I would say is it's neat that they're bringing stuff like Darkwood and Overland and mm-hmm. uh the the um the Vlambeer stuff too. Um, yeah. That's yeah. those are all ports. We don't have to go into them. Um, but those are cool games and I'm actually, I don't own overland yet. Um, I've kind of been waiting for it to get finished with its dev cycle. Uh, I will definitely play it on switch cause that game looks great and you can pet the dog in that. Yeah. I, I like, <laughs> I like nuclear throne a lot. So I'm, I'm considering you know never played again. nuclear throne. I'm going to buy it on switch for sure. Cause yeah. I'd, I like lift browsers a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, of the Vlambeer games, my favorite didn't get announced there, which is lift browsers. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Um, do we want to wrap up with the the big thing? With the Let's big wrap thing up with the big thing. Th- okay. That we started talking about. That could, we, yeah. Could, <laughs> by anybody who, who, yeah, who likes Yeah, that that we'll talk, we're not going to talk about like any heavy narrative spoilers, but I, I think we're going to probably be pretty open about the mechanical stuff, at least from the first few hours. So if you are avoiding anything about that, then definitely. Um, and just a reminder, this is Sekiro Shadows Die Twice that we're yeah. talking about again. Yep. Okay. Yep. Cool. So spoiler. You know, this game is spoiler. hard as hell. Oh my God. I'm so bad <laughs> at it. I literally, okay. I mentioned this in our group chat yesterday, but the game, um, one of the things that I think is really n- nifty is that I think the game does a really good job of, uh, of setting you up, um, of kind of, yeah, it's, it's like, you, uh, like you're mentioning before the show, it is one of the most like accessible games, um, from some, from software, which is while it's also extremely hard, but yeah, I think we should be, start, oh, sorry, sorry. The game starts you off, um, without a sword and without any sort of weapon. So it, it's really emphasizing, you know, self stealth is important. And I immediately died to the first person that I needed to be selfie around. So I think, I think we should be really careful with the, I'm not, this is not meant as like a, a argument either, but we should be really careful with the term accessible as it relates to this game, because right. I don't want to oh, give the impression sure. it is not more accessible in terms of um, the traditional or the, the idea of accessibility in video games. It, it, if anything, I think it's probably the heart. If you're, you know, um, if you are playing with a, with a physical disability, it's probably the hardest of these games to enjoy. It does have fully remappable controls, which is nice. Um, and, but, but because it is so brutal in terms of its, um, its, its requirements for perfection in combat, I think that that is, it, 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 I do think they should add some kind of like God mode for people who want to see the content, make it a separate downloadable thing so that if you don't want that, you don't even have to see it in the menu, but that would be cool and make the game. Oh yeah. And, and, and thank you for, 
Yeah, and thank you for making that distinction because that's really important to make. Um, But in terms of accessibility for, uh, as like, it is the most um, forward with how it works. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's not purposefully is the least least obfuscated. Uh, Yes, yes, it is definitely still weird and (laughs) obvious in some ways, but yeah. it, it, except for one thing, <laughs> which I had to Google, that is a very simple thing. Um, it, it explains how it works very well. Um, and, and that's, that's a little different from, you're not going to die because you don't know how something works, or at least I haven't encountered that yet. Um, every time I've died, it's felt very much like, oh, cause I fucked up. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, that opening sequence with, the, <laughs> it's funny that you died to those guys with the stealth thing. Cause like, I thought about it when I was doing that part where I was like, you know, I could just like walk over there and they'd probably kill me, huh? <laughs> they do. Well, and also I, I, I think the thing that, I mean, it's, it's kind of, um, important about that is that the, the area of detection for, uh, um, for enemies is, is higher than a lot of other games, um, for, in terms of stealth. So, so I'm just like, Oh, I'm super far away from them. And and then I like step into the grass without like, before I, uh, hit the crouch and they're immediately like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, shit, what happened? And then I run away. And the thing, it was the funniest thing because, uh, like before that you previously had to kind of like sidle against a wall. So I like run past, run into the past the wall. And I'm like, they can't get me here. And, uh, this game also has a mechanic where you can, you know, where, you know, where you can lean to see somebody. So I leaned out to see like, where are they just, and then they immediately kill me. <laughs> it was, yeah, the, 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 I couldn't even be mad. I was like, uh, Bravo game. I was, that was something that surprised me was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not like, I don't play a ton of stealth games, but I have played a few metal gear games. I I play enough that I am proficient in video game stealth to a degree. The enemies in this game are way smarter and way more Mm -hmm. like aware than enemies in most stealth games. And I don't even mean it in like a bullshit way. Like, like seeing some coverage for that left alive game. It looks like the enemies in that game have like stupid detection that isn't realistic at all in this game. It's, it's not, but like there's a thing in a lot of stealth games where like if you are on a rooftop, for example, you're pretty safe. Um, because like enemies don't tend to look up in video games. That's just like a thing. They just mm-hmm. don't in this game. I, I got on a rooftop and an enemy that was like a hundred yards away saw me because of course they did. Cause if you're standing a hundred yards away and someone jumps up on top of a roof, you're going to notice it. Like that you're looking in that direction. And, and he noticed me from that far away and called his buddies. And then I got like shot and died while I was on the roof. So you have to be really careful about how you move stealthily. And I think that's like one of the things that so far has been like very, very, very cool from a stealth mechanic perspective. Um, yeah. Well, the game also, I feel like, in general kind of plays with the expectations of how video games should work. Yes. You know, yeah. How other from software games yeah. should work because I, I read, uh, I saw somebody, I forget where I think on Twitter say, if you play Sekiro, like you're playing, uh, like dark souls, you're not going to get very far <laughs> now. And it's interesting. Cause you still have to, it's a game that makes you think a lot, 
Um, right. And I guess maybe we should back up a little bit and say like some of the basic things about this game is it's a from software game in the lineage of souls games. It is the most different souls game that they've put out since demon souls. Um, it is um, it changes up a lot of mechanics. Um, there's no, there's, there's not a concept of like, builds in the same way you're not getting different gear the sword you have is your sword that's going to be your sword for the entire game barring anything i don't know maybe you get a different sword halfway through but like you're not picking up gear in the environment um you're not uh you're not changing your armor out um it, it has some very similar elements like you have a healing item that replenishes when you when you get to checkpoints um and you grow that item's uh, uh, the amount of uses it has over time. Um, it has, you know, very challenging combat, like has a similar feel in some ways to souls games, but it is a huge departure mechanically. It, it is a Miyazaki game, right? Yes. However, yeah. the other biggest, the, probably the, even more than the mechanical changes is narratively. It is extremely different from previous mm -hmm. games, um, which Absolutely. is, is due in large part to the fact that, um, Miyazaki didn't write the game. Um, he, he's been the, the lead writer on the other souls games and on bloodborne. Um, as far as I know, I maybe could be wrong but, or no, sorry. He wasn't on dark souls two maybe, but, um, he, anyway, it's, he did not really take on the writing duties and in, in, in light of that, it doesn't have some of the like writing tropes that souls has in terms of like, there's a character that shows up in all the souls games who I'm not even familiar with, but he's not in the game. Um, so it is definitely the biggest departure for them. Um, but narratively the biggest, the, the big thing is like, there's more NPCs and they talk and there's a dialogue system where you're like selecting things. It's not like, you know, Bioware or anything, you're not like making dialogue choices that affect the story, but like they'll have a list of things you can ask them about. And, um, there's cutscenes that have narrative in them. Uh, like it's much more narrative focused than, um, other games in the series. And, and then also like from a narrative perspective, you're not fighting like husks and undead monsters. Primarily you're fighting people. Um, and people that talk and like you can eavesdrop on their conversations and stuff. Um, which is a very interesting change too. Does it uh, still do the dark souls thing though, of like hiding lore within item descriptions? No, no. Well, there are item descriptions mm -hmm. um, and there does appear to be, you do get some deeper context for the people and what the item was used for, but it is not like dark souls where it's like journal entries in an item descriptions okay. so far anyway. Um, yeah. And the story is a lot more explicit than yeah. other schools games uh, where you have to like kind of piece it together. Whereas here there is a, an overarching story that is a lot more um, just right structure. there. Like, yeah. yeah. And overt, although I think that if you like the tone of souls games, you'll still find this one appealing because it's, it still is weird. It's, there are still, um, monsters. There's still magic. There's still, there, there's still things happening here that are strange. Um, so it, it's, it's not that it's, uh, that it, it's, it's that different tonally. It's more, I mean, and it is a little different tonally, but it's not, it's, it's more that it is, um, mechanically different how they deliver the narrative. Uh, have either of you guys had the equivalent of walking onto a bridge and then just suddenly getting fucked like by a dragon, just like getting roasted uh, and you're like, Oh, okay. 
Yes and no. I think if you're observant this time around, you won't have that happen to you. Um, I did have a, <laughs> I had a, an area where there is about seven people walking around patrolling in, in situations where they're standing there. I don't think I could handle fighting more than two of the normal grunts right now. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's hard. It, you're very fragile. You die to a grunt can hit you two times and kill you. Um, so, uh, I very carefully picked my way around, took out all of the enemies and engaged the last one in like a straight up fight and killed him. And, then uh screamed <laughs> out of fear not and surprise not frustration because uh a hammer came down on me from this scary like giant person that had like weird gangly limbs and kind of looked like a character from a miyazaki the filmmaker film um that was unsettling and definitely surprising but i survived i, I ended up being able to kill him um in parts in part because one of the things that helps you with that is that you have a grappling hook in this game that you can use to like grapple up to rooftops and stuff. Sure. Um, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work on every single surface. You are grappling to points, but in every combat arena, there's points all over the place. Um, so, so in that case, I got hit by that guy. It took out like half my health, but then I like dashed away, grappled up on something, got him to a point where he didn't know where I was and then dropped down behind him and stealth killed him. And he still died in one stealth kill hit. So, uh, yes and no, I, I think it's a little less unfair than <laughs> dark souls can be in that, in that regard. Right. Uh, but I find the basic, um, sword fighting mechanics are like sublime in a way that I don't know that I've seen another game manage to like capture. Um, it is a game about parrying. Like your, your goal is to deflect the strikes of your opponents. Like <laughs> the dream sword sword fighting game is the one where the swords do real damage, right? Like not the one where you slice at a guy 10 times and then finally kill them. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the idea of like, no swords are brutal elements or implements that can kill someone with one swipe. And it definitely feels like this game gets that. Um, so basic enemies can kill you very easily. Um, you need to deflect their attacks. And then most frequently you're using death blows where you deflect their attacks and then get an opening and then do a, a execution move on them. Mm -hmm. um, you can slash people, basic enemies to death, but generally you're, you're doing that. And the way that that works is there's a whole, there's no more stamina. So you can swing forever. Uh, there's a system called posture where you fill a meter on your opponent and opponents fill meters on you when you block attacks and they block attacks. And when the meter fills up, it's basically like a guard break so that then they are vulnerable to an attack and you can fill that meter by attacking them while they're guarding or by deflecting their blows. Um, and it's tied to their health to a degree, like the lower someone's health is the slower the posture bar recovers. Um, so some enemies you have to get around behind them, swipe them, slash them a few times so that they, their posture bar doesn't immediately recover and then work their posture down to kill them. Um, many bosses and bosses you cannot kill without death blows. So you have to work their posture bar up and then get them into a guard break state and death blow them. Um, usually more than once. Uh, so 
it's a different game than they've made before. And it feels so different to play. Um, Mm -hmm. Because you can't win by dodging and waiting for openings. You have to engage with the, I'm attacking them while they're blocking and I'm going to have to parry them. And it's terrifying because if you miss that parry, you will die. Um, right. I've, I've had that happen a couple of times where I'm like, okay, I'm parrying. And then you miss it by a second and you immediately die. Because like, like you said, for even some of the most basic enemies, you, it, like a couple hits and you're dead. And if you get hit, it's, I feel like it's harder to miss that second hit. I will say that one mechanic that is helpful and makes it feel like less um, brutal is that you have revives in this game. Um, Alluding to the subtitle, um, you can die twice. Um, So if you die, you have the option to die fully and go back to a checkpoint, or you can hit on Xbox. It's the right bumper. And then you'll resurrect like right there immediately. Um, and that is, um, useful because if you're working a boss down and there's like one hit left on them, you can resurrect right there and try to have another chance to finish them off. Um, but again, it's so hard that I wouldn't say that that's that much of a a boon because you can die with such a minor slip up. Like the first enemy that you need to kill with death blows um, that you are intended to kill. It does the same thing that every soft from soft game does where you fight a boss early on that is designed to kill you. Um, the, 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 the first guy though, that you're supposed to be able to kill and you really need to kill him because he has an item on him that you use for upgrades um, for getting more uh, healing gourd charges, which is your health, your, your potion thing. And uh, he has prayer beads. And if you get four prayer beads, you can increase your life bar. Um, I died on him probably 10 or 15 times. Uh, he is extremely hard <laughs> and, um, and, and that seems to be kind of the, the way the game is going to go, uh, is that, that, that it's, it's very, very brutal. Um, but it is just brilliant to play it. It feels very good. Um, it feels more responsive than previous fun games. What language are you guys playing it in? Cause like, uh, for me, it would all feel like I haven't played it obviously, but um, I would feel wrong playing in anything other than Japanese. That's what it defaults to. Yep. Yeah. So I'm, I'm playing it in that. And it tells you at the front, like this game defaults to Japanese language. And um, I don't think you would play. I don't even really know why they did English voiceover, to be honest. I assume it has to be a localization related thing where in some parts of the world, maybe because there isn't, I didn't look at the number of subtitle dialogue choices. It could be that it's missing some obscure languages where in parts of the world, people could understand spoken English better than reading it. I would guess is the only thing. Cause I mean, you should play it in Japanese. If you're, if you're listening to this podcast and going to play this game, you should play it in Japanese. Yeah. Um, and the, and the voice acting is the first thing pretty good. So, Oh yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it reminds me of, of, uh, and in part, this is because it's the most recent game I played in Japanese, but it reminds me a lot of the the tone of the Yakuza voice acting um, with a little more, it's a little more somber, obviously, <laughs> because it's a quieter, the voice, the, the elements of, it reminds me of the quiet moments in Yakuza, I should say. There aren't people like yelling boisterously like there are all the time in Yakuza, but um, <laughs> is there karaoke? No. I wish. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's, there's a lot of mechanical stuff that is unique and interesting. Like there's the whole Shinobi tools mechanic. You have a prosthetic arm 
um, cause your arm gets cut off very graphically in the first boss fight. Um, and, uh, you, you use that combined with ninja tools. There's shinobi tools. I should say not ninja. They're very good about not using the word ninja. Um, it's actually, I always get my history mixed up, but it takes place during the Sengoku era. And I'm reasonably sure that it is a historically accurate as much as it can be representation of Shinobi. Um, there's a, the, a, again, I'm fuzzy on it, but there, as far as I know, were never ninja in the sense that we think about them. Now they were never like people with black cloaks and face masks that like descended from lines and shot people with poison darts that that wasn't, that's not historically accurate. However, there were Shinobi that, um, were assassins, uh, and, and you are in that vein of more historically accurate representation of Shinobi and they don't ever use the word ninja. Um, but you have these Shinobi tools. Like I got a, a, a shuriken launcher that, uh, I, Allison, I think you just picked up. Yep. I haven't found it to be that useful yet. And that may be because I'm not using it correctly. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then there's the grappling hook, which is great. The skill system is very interesting. Like there's, you'll see that soon, Allison. There's like, you pick up these like skill scrolls and mm -hmm. that gives you access to a whole tree of skills. And then you get the skill points through like killing enemies and getting experience points basically. But it's not things like increased statistics. It's things like uh, the one I unlocked is a whirling attack. So you can, uh, you can, you can assign one special attack to the, uh, left and right bumper or R1 and RL1, um, simultaneously. So like that would potentially be a way I could handle dealing with more enemies is by doing the whirling attack. Um, and other things on the skill scroll were like dash attacks, passive bonuses. Um, but I get the impression that there's different skill scrolls. Like the one I got was the Shinobi arts one, but I get the impression that there's like maybe more martial arts focused ones, maybe more, um, like samurai skills, things like that. Um, and that's cool. But I mean, at its core, if you want a brutally hard sword fighting game, this is what you should play. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It seems really neat. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing how, uh, you guys feel by the end of the experience. Yeah, I, uh, to be perfectly honest, I have no idea how far I'm going to get in this game. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm, a, I'm not good at it, uh, but it's, I like it a lot so far. So hopefully that can kind of propel me to push through the uh, difficulty. But one thing I would say is if you're privileged enough to be able bodied in a way that you can play this game on its terms, I truly believe that it is about learning how to play it and not about, mm -hmm. um, it's not, a, it's not like, I think anyone who really wants to see this game through could do it. Um, based on, again, I'm not that far in it. <laughs> Maybe I'll change my tune later, but I don't think I'm particularly proficient at video games in general, especially not like reaction focused ones. And I feel like I'm getting better at it. Um, mm -hmm. And that is what ultimately is like the, the, the intoxicating element of from games is it is, it is an exercise in patience and learning. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I find the game, um, uh, I don't know what the right word is. Intimidating is probably the right word. Um, I like, I ended up playing it for a few hours last night, a couple hours, and then switching over to kingdom hearts because I could feel a boss fight coming on. And 
it is intimidating in that I'm like nervous about going back to it, but it doesn't feel frustrating to play to me yet. Um, even, and I'm sure I'll get there because there are boss fights in the souls games that are like, you do them 20 times and you just are so angry at them. But, um, more than ever, this game feels like if you're paying attention and working on learning how to play on the game's terms, you'll get there and you'll get better. Uh, so that's, that's really exciting. And, and, um, it's a good exercise almost. I think if you're someone who enjoys, uh, being challenged because it, it, it really is much more of a, like you learn and get better over time. And it's about learning the mechanics and internalizing them. And, um, yes, there is like, heavy reliance on being able to react to things quickly, but it's more about being able to observe things quickly than it is about pushing a button because you, if you start to observe the tells, it gives you enough time to push the button. Um, it's not like you have a 0.2 second window and it's all about reaction time. It's more about reading the fight and observing, observing the opponent's tells. Hmm. And like the, the AI of enemies is very interesting in that their patterns are harder to discern. But if you stop and think about it as I am facing an opponent with a sword and we're fighting each other, you can predict their moves like you would be able to, if you were in an actual fight, it's not just like, Oh, if I dodge this way, he does this. Like it feels like it can be in other souls games. And maybe that's still what's going on and it just op- like hides it better. But I feel like in the fights where I've really struggled, once I stepped back and said, what is he going to do next? And really like slowed the fight down and thought about it more. That was when I was more successful, which is a cool feeling. Um, it makes the AI feel like really smart and interesting in a way that in previous souls games, they tend to kind of be fodder more. Um, some of the like weaker enemies. Uh, and I like that, man. When you said fodder more, all I thought was Potter more. Oh God. <laughs> Potter souls. Oh my God. <laughs> oh man. See, that's the Harry Potter game. They need to make. <laughs> Does anybody, I, I really remember there's one other tiny thing I wanted to touch on quickly. I don't know if anybody else has any other thoughts on Sekiro to share. Don't think I do. Uh, it's, it seems rad so far. Um, only put a little bit of time into it, but I'm going to probably play a decent amount more today. So. It, it has a lot of moments. That's for sure. When you're yeah. like, Oh, for oh, sure. Shit. <laughs> <What am I laughs> looking at? And that's, that's cool. And I don't want to spoil those for even people who have gone this deep in the discussion. Uh, but I did want to say really briefly, um, I'll probably bring it next week. It's couldn't be coming out at a worse time because I have so many other things going, but there's a, a new game from, um, studio called nine dot coming out this week called outward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If you have any interest in, I've been kind of hunting for a role-playing game that is like open world, less narrative focused, somewhat survival focused, but without like, like not a stick and rock game. Um, I put a little bit of time into Kenshi, which seems like it is up that alley. Uh, I want to put more time into that over the course of the year, but it is a big intimidating kind of mess of beautiful mess of a game. Um, but this outward game is coming out. seems to be exactly that as well. It, it it's, it's got, uh, um, a lot of like survival elements mixed in with a big open world. Like the map doesn't tell you where you are on it. You have to use landmarks to kind of guide your way. It's all about like, having a tent and setting it up, picking a backpack is a huge decision. Apparently like 
if you pick a large backpack, you'll have room for more gear and stuff that you pick up in the world and more supplies, but then you get tired easily because you have a heavy backpack on. Um, so, but it, it seems way more like friendly and like accessible and like the interface looks very good. It looks, it reminds me of fable a lot in terms of it's like look and feel of the interface. And yet it seems to have these very deep survival mechanics. So I don't know. I'm extremely excited about that game. I'm going to definitely pick it up. It comes out on the 26th. So I'll be picking that up and bringing it. Yeah. It looks, it looks, uh, really, it looks really cool. I'm, I'd be interested to hear what you think about yeah, it. Yeah. The main reason I bring it up is I hadn't heard of this game at all. Um, my dad actually saw it in like as a little blurb in like PC gamer, I think. Um, cool. And he Wait, shot me a message about it. They still make PC Gamer? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the site's still... Oh, and there's tons of stuff on the web. But oh, it's he, not the they, magazine? They, no, they, they print the magazine, too. He oh. reads the magazine every month. Huh. Um, Does it still come with a... Like a no, no demo disc, no demo discs. Uh, but, but it's, it's the same. It's a lot of the same writing that's from the site, I think. Um, but they put it in print form for people to, who prefer that. Um, huh. Okay, cool. Anyway, I say, I think if you're into big open world survivally, as, as I understand it, the way the outward begins, you uh, are like shipwrecked. You're going on some venture to make a bunch of money and you're shipwrecked and you had gotten a loan from someone to pay for it. And then you have to pay the loan back. That's like the beginning thrust of the story is like you, you borrowed money and now you have to pay it back. And if you don't pay it back by a certain amount of time in the game, then they repossess your house. Um, and so then you have to like, you like, and then from what I understand, like what's probably going to happen is they're going to repossess your house. Whereas you could, if you're very good at it early on, find a way to make enough money to pay them back. I don't know. It's an interesting start to the game. From what I understand, it does have a little bit of narrative and some quests in it, but it's, it's, it's very open and, um, and designed to be non-linear. And it also has a split screen drop in co-op from what I understand. Yeah. So like you can like take a character and it's online. Also, you can like make a character and, and you can plop down on the couch next to someone. They can pick up a controller and drop in and make a character. And then it scales up the difficulty of the enemies and you're just together then. And in the way you want, like you're together in the world, you're both just playing the game together. It's not like one person's a Sprite or something and flying around with you, uh, like in fable. Um, and, uh, you get like progression and stuff that you can take back to your game. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It looks very cool. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. It looks, it looks neat. I, I hadn't heard about that game until you just mentioned it. And I'm, I'm suddenly like went from, I don't know, to, okay, this sounds really fun. So yeah. Yeah. I'll, have to, I'll uh, probably have to give it a shot. Weirdly from a business perspective too, it got a, it's coming to steam and the Epic store as well as Xbox one and PS4. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, $40. So it's not like a $60 full price, but it is a not, it's also not a $20 game. Um, not early access. It's just full releasing. Uh, cool. it's, I think paradox maybe is the studio that's, or the publisher that's, that's funding it. Um, but anyway, the it's, it's got an exclusive pre-order on Epic, so you can't pre-order it on steam. You're going to be able to buy it on steam on Tuesday, but it, you can pre-order it exclusively on the Epic store, which is just, a weird thing to me that is, I saw that and thought it was strange. So before we sign off on this, mm-hmm. this thing, there's something we could talk about for about four hours, but yes, uh, 
Did you, oh. guys, did you guys want to talk for like a minute about the Google <laughs> press conference that came out of GDC? I think if you not to offload the conversation, um, I mean, I'm not, but I think giant bomb actually had a really smart discussion of it on the Bombcast this week. Primarily the thoughts of Jeff Gersman. I mirror his thoughts pretty directly. I think it's an interesting idea that is definitely a way of the future that I think if it were some plucky, you know, small company that didn't already have like billions and billions of terabytes of data on people, I would probably feel better about Mm -hmm. Google being the company to do this. I feel like really weird about it. And I'm, the more I think about it, the more I wish they weren't doing it. (laughs) I I do think I actually kind of agree with you in terms of uh, the bomb cast being the right, like they articulate it in a very strong way, especially Jeff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In case you're listening to this in the future, that is episode 575 of the bomb cast, a thousand player battle Royale. And yeah, like I, I agree with you. Also, I think technologically it's really cool, and yes. they're making some pretty mm-hmm. big promises, like uh, being able to play games with minimal latency at 4K, 60 frames per second, like all this stuff, and eventually 8K, 120 frames yeah. per second. I think they said, and like if that's true, that's amazing. But then you also have, like you said, the uh, the Google factor, the big data, the big uh, privacy and- concerns. I think it's bigger than just at first I was like, it's weird to be able to jump into a game with a streamer. What if they turn the stream off and they have a channel for all these people that they can talk to them privately now? Um, I think it's weird from the, like, um, you know, Google tracks everything about your life. It's weird for them to track your, your play habits now as well, but just a broader from a, on a broader level on a big picture level, this is a platform that it could be so incredibly massive. And the idea that, games could become the thing that like it could become a, we could have a world where like in 10 years you don't have consoles, you don't have steam, you don't have a gaming computer, you play all of your games through Google. And that's a really unsettling concept. Yeah. The one thing that kind of, I I haven't looked too much into it. So the one thing that um, personally makes me a little bit, hesitant is mostly about the um how this will work in terms of archiving games and in terms of um totally game preservation because i mean we already have quite a few games that are were originally only accessible via um digital stores that are no longer available um i mean there's there's a bunch but if these games are just pure, there are games that are exclusively streaming once they're gone. Even if you have like, there's no way you can play them. Like you, like people can still play, for example, PT, if they have it downloaded on their PlayStation four, right. sure. but, but there then, is, yeah, they have games like Moirai, which are just dead forever. Yeah. Right. And yeah. So I, I, I I'm, I, I find the whole pros, um, prospect interesting to see how it'll play out. But uh, and I personally don't think it's going to be, uh, you know, going to replace all consoles. Like, I really don't think that that's, that's going to be the thing. Yeah. Just because, I, I mean, we've, yeah. we've heard that before. I feel like we've heard that before with, like, mobile. And, like, we're not going to need any game consoles anymore because people can play games on their phones. And it's like, no, people that's- don't like consoles. But, like, but uh, I, I, I'm just a little bit concerned about the 
uh, preservation and uh, I do this. I do think the scary thing though, with, I agree with you that I don't think it's going to go that way, but the thing I can't get out of the back of my mind is, you know, Apple made smartphones first and Google said, we're going to make it so that like, we're going to make a smartphone. And now the only smartphones are running a Google OS or an Apple OS. Like there is not a space for a third I'm aware that there are fringe cases where they exist, but pretty much everything is based on either Android or iOS. Mm -hmm. So they have shown the ability to take over a market and become the thing globally in that market in a way that makes me really uncomfortable. And then the other thing that I think this is a little more, I would normally dismiss this as a little alarmist, but anymore who fucking knows the idea of a (laughs) them watching me play assassin's creed and then feeding my behavior into an ai like DeepMind to observe how i act as a player is so unsettling to me that i can't <laughs> it's yeah. hard to articulate yeah. to, to your first point where they kind of jumped into a market and took it over uh one thing that i find I don't think it'll happen with Stadia, but Google has a track record of putting a lot of effort into some project and then just dropping it. Yeah. So yeah, like totally. you have Google Plus, you have Inbox, you have Allo, like you have all these things where it's like, oh yeah, this seems like a cool thing. And then like two years in, they're just like, eh, whatever. Okay, we're just, and, you, you can't use this anymore. It's gone. Yeah. And it doesn't even get into question, to, to discussion on like, we don't know how the revenue model is going to work, but like yeah. music streaming has, has obliterated the livelihood of a lot of like the way that musicians exist has had to change so drastically and game developers are already like hit pretty hard with the way that labor works in the industry and the way that, you know, kind of gig economy works for contractors and artists. So like the idea of streaming games, like maybe the revenue service will be great and it'll be amazing revenue share for the, for the developers. But I find that very, I mean, I'm not going to assume that's how it's going to work given how music streaming has gone. So there's, right. there's questions of like the, the, the fact that the, the way they positively talked about being able to feed an image into an AI and have it design a style template for your game. Why is that a thing people would be happy about? Like artists exist for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, again, and I don't think that's going to matter that much in the grand scheme of yeah. things, but technologically, a handmade art style is going to work. Yeah. Better, Techn- but. Technologically super fucking cool. Uh, but I do agree with what you're saying completely. And like, uh, I yeah. think the biggest problem is actually the revenue model. Like it, it's unknown right now, but let's say it goes the way of, uh, some kind of subscription. Um, then the only games that are really going to do well are ones that have free to play elements in them. Yeah. Like, right. And cause that's the only I'm, way, only way for um, a developer or a publisher, whatever the case might be to make revenue on top of whatever the streaming revenue they might get is. And I think in terms of like indie developers that are making more boutique niche games, they won't necessarily go away, but I think it'll just become harder for them to, make more games um, because I think it's going to become even more of a hobbyist sort of thing to make more traditional games. If it goes the way that it could like rich Gallup on the Bombcast this week talked a lot about how like you treat it, you have to treat every game basically like the design ethos of a mobile game. If it's a, if it's a subscription based service and 
that could end up backfiring too. Like if that's the way it goes and there's like a billion mobile games on the platform and most of them suck. And it's like, you can play Ubisoft's big AAA titles or mobile games. Then that then it won't work because people won't want to do that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes going forward, but very cautious about any, about enthusiasm for the platform. Yeah. I'm, less skeptical skeptical about the technology working and more oh, i think it'll work about, fine yeah I'm more skeptical skeptical about google having a hard time with that word today <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i and, and i say that as someone who ties a lot of stuff to google like i, I mean i have I have everything. If I lost my password to my google account it would suck because <laughs> there's a lot of shit there yeah. um yeah, but sure. I, i'm less weirdly i'm more precious about the idea of an AI watching me play than an AI watching me drive around as weird as that sounds you, like you would think I'd be more concerned about the AI knowing my location, which Google knows where I am all the time. But I think it gets to like, Google can put together a picture of me that is very, a very complete image in terms of advertising and my interests based on my search history and my location history and stuff. But Google still doesn't know what I'm going to do if like this is this is alarmist in a way that's like dumb i don't think this is real but this is my thought process like on the fight or flight elements of my brain google doesn't know what i'm gonna do if like a person comes to my door and pulls a gun they don't know how i'll react to that but once you start analyzing the behaviors of people in video games you start to get more at how their brains work, not just what their interests are. And that makes me really uncomfortable yeah. <laughs> because I don't want anyone to know how the inner workings. Well, I don't want a big corporation to know how my brain functions on a like base decision-making level. This human male located in United States from age range 26 to 30 has a reaction time of exactly. Yeah. Right. That's the stuff I don't like. I don't care if they know that I'm a human male living in Seattle age range, you know, 26 to 35 who likes tabletop games and star Trek, whatever. I'd tell that to a stranger. I don't care but I don't like them knowing what my, dis my thought process is on how to push a button that's located on a 10 foot high pillar. Yeah. That's stuff that I want to, I want me to know how I do that. And I want maybe close people. <laughs> I want to be able to explain that to close friends. I don't want an AI to know that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's Would you explain it to us? <laughs> I don't know. I'd probably try to find a box and like put it up, but I'm not, I don't have a lot of upper body strength, so I'm not going to be able to pull myself up onto the pillar. It was, it was just more of like, a, like, are, are we closer to you than Google is? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So what you're saying is that we'll do it on the podcast, which means Twitch. We're closer to Twitch, which means we're closer to Amazon. So weirdly we like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, Amazon's a disaster <laughs> nightmare company too, but in a weird way, I would almost be more comfortable with Amazon having a service like this because as much as I hate them, that they're not the same in terms of the way that they like commoditize data. They do it too. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm not naive, but I don't know. Even in the case of someone like Microsoft, I weirdly have less uncomfortable feelings about Microsoft doing something like this. Yeah. Um, I would agree. It's so it's, it's yeah, it's the depth to which they outline these features. If it was just, Hey, you'll click a button and then be playing a game, streaming a game. That's cool. I'm into that. That's fun. Yeah. But we're going to, the way they're, they want to track everything and database everything is more unsettling. Yeah. And this certainly uh, puts Microsoft in a weird place with X cloud. Yes. 
big time. But I think it could put them in a place of, you know, do you just want to play the games and not have all this weird extra baggage around it? If they can find a way to message that effectively, then I think they still have yeah. a product that is worth, you know, pushing. I would agree also. Mm-hmm. But- but yeah, we could we could talk about this for hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should, oh, absolutely. We're, we're, we're long already. We should wrap it up. But yeah, what I'm saying is, cover your cameras and microphones. Wear the tinfoil. Don't hat. let them see you. Yeah. Uh, never order pizza online from Papa John's. Don't do that anyway. <laughs> what are you an asshole? <laughs> There's a Domino's assuredly in your area. Okay, but Papa John's briefly had a cheeseburger pizza with pickles on it, and it was very good. Papa John's also briefly let you pay money to cut in front of people in line. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm not endorsing Papa John's. I'm just saying that I I had the cheeseburger pizza at somebody else's place, and I was like, this is damn good. It it seems like their management structure is less shit, but I think that's slightly off topic. <laughs> Slightly. I think they cleaned house a little bit. I mean, I don't. They don't have a, a openly racist <laughs> mascot <laughs> CEO anymore. Papa John is no longer there, so that's, yeah. that's, appre- that's appreciated. And they should bring back their cheeseburger pizza. Um, the Domino's so. pan pizza is better than Papa John's. Wow. Uh, of cheap pizza, Pizza Hut is the best of the cheap. Pizza Hut's pretty good. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I got no hate for Pizza Hut. I like Domino's more, but I can respect the Pizza Hut. My friend keeps telling me I need to try the barbecue chicken pizza from Pizza Hut. She says it is life changing. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so let's end this podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's end this podcast. All right. So, Alex, where can people find you? I don't know. Somewhere. Somewhere. Okay. Uh, on the Pop John's website, you can cut in front of him in line. Uh, Pat, where can people find you? You can find me on. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at JesterPC. Uh, and where was that about to go? <laughs> I was going to say you can find me on fix.space. I don't know why I was going to oh. give out our website URL, but you can. That, that's a space. Yeah, we have a website, fix.space. Um, but I was going to say, uh, I have, I've been talking about how I want to do more, add another game to the video mix. Um, I'm pretty sure that's going to end up being outward. Um, that's, that's one that I'm going to probably fire up a couple of saves, have one that I'm playing on, on our YouTube channel. Um, my thinking is that'll go to... Uh, if uh, it'll, I'll release those on Wednesdays and obviously that won't start until not this coming week, but the week after, but that's sort of my plan for that. And there's still more Sunless skies videos coming. I haven't played that game in a couple of weeks, so I got to get back on that too, but I have, I banked a ton of videos one morning, so there are more of those coming. Uh, oh, also we're probably going to do some kingdom hearts podcasts in the next couple of months with Chris Edgerton and Andre and I, once Andre gets internet back, um, yeah. So look forward to those. I'm tracking what I think the story is going to be about at the end of each game that I play to see how wrong I am. So those will be fun. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at W R I T E R S E R E N Y T Y. Um, I keep thinking I want to do some video stuff. Um, my, I have a very dumb idea for a video series that hopefully I'll get to be able to do, but I have no idea when I'll do it. So I don't want to talk too much about it. Um, <laughs> and also there? I am going to be at star Wars celebration next uh, month. So that's within three weeks. So follow me on Twitter and, uh, on Instagram also, which is also W R I T E R S E R E N Y T Y. And I'll be posting pictures from there and I'll be hopefully going to the, some of the video game stuff at celebration. So, and the droid panels, and all the droid panels. There are so many panels about droids. I'm so excited. We're not going to get into it, but they put Clone Wars and X Wing this week, and it's really good. 
Ah. I'm excited to play. I'm playing today. Yay. Uh, well, uh, and you can also see Pat at that X-Wing tournament today. Yeah, in, in, in Linwood, Washington, if you want to come out <laughs> to, 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 uh, to around the table games. Yeah. He'll sign your X-Wing. I, I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, I can try to sign an X-Wing. They're tiny. They're, they're like smaller than this. So because that's not an X-Wing. For, for I'm those listening at home, for Pat, I'm sorry. For those listening at home, Pat is holding up an ARC-170 Starfighter. Oh, I was going to say he's currently showing us his penis. <laughs> that's what I call it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and so <laughs> you can find us on Pornhub. Cool slot. <laughs> yeah, and also, uh, if you like this podcast, uh, rate us on all of, your, all of your podcast apps, iTunes, Spotify, Pod, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> and Pornhub and all those places. You you know, just give, us, give us a like. Or, yeah, we're, partner, you know. we're, partner, we're partnered with Pod Whatever. So. <laughs> so that's that's especially important so all right well i think that'll do it for us today today i don't know what time it is i'm tired uh have a good day guys <laughs> you too bye <laughs> Thanks. bye, bye.